there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Witch. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Milinski. It's pronounced Vivalinski. And with our The Witch tagline, or two, or three, maybe four, Kelly Wand. It's like The Crucible, but with a happy ending. Nowhere to go for that. Oh, good. Oh, goody wand. It's a massage jerk. Uh, are, are there more Kelly Wand? Uh, swine over Mather. Mm, the goat isn't really swine, though. I like. Shut that. up! I know. Yeah. <laughs> you should have saved that for the uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane podcast. Hmm. That's the thing, thing of the last movie that you saw a pig in. A dead pig, hello. What were their names? What were their names? Helen and June or something? What were the, what were the Harold, names? Harold and Maud, I think. No, oh, that would have been great. John Candy, or John Candy, John Goodman making a pop <laughs> reference to the names of his pigs. It's Tammy and Ferd, Ron. Yeah. Tammy and Ron. I'm pretty sure one of them was June. I remember that much. Uh, you know what? Let's go back and see Tim Cloverfield Lane and figure that out. Uh, Kelly Wan, in the meantime, why don't you give us more The Witch taglines? When the movie's over, head for the hexit. Hexit. Wow. So these are just witch puns. You got more? Actually, that's, that works for a tagline. It's like the Crucible with a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> that's four right there. You just so. did an Ouroboros of taglines. Well, I don't know your stupid words. Uh, before we get into the, the movie that we saw this week. Uh, oh, I see what you did. Dingus, I feel like challenging Kelly Wand to a contest. Why don't you do something to decide whether Kelly Wand or I is the better podcaster? All right, I can do that. Uh, I'm going to do uh, the thing that uh, Kelly Wand pioneered um, and just read one of these awesome synopses from IMDb. And one of us, whichever of us guesses first, like barks out the name correctly, by the way, not just random guess, whoever correctly guesses first wins. Right, yes, you you have to bark, though. Easy enough. All right, you guys ready? Ready. All right. A man is haunted by a recurring nightmare that three large-breasted women are trying to have sex Everything with him. Everything you want to know about se- – oh, no. Every- oh. Total recall. Shoot. Is he right? No. <laughs> that wasn't a recurring nightmare in that movie. It disturbs <laughs> – it, di- <laughs> it was, though, if you think about it, because it was yeah. an inception. There wasn't dis- a real one. It disturbs him so much that he decides to drive into the woods – to see if he can find the source of his dreams. Monique Parent is the understanding wife who has sex with him in the forest to try to take his mind off his witch problem. Soon they will run into the witches. Wicked Lake? The witches. The craft. The guy must exercise... So far, no. Witches of Eastwick? No, but you're getting closer. Hocus Pocus. The guy must exercise his demons by having sex with each and every woman in this movie. His wife gets to have some fun in the hot tub and bathtub with the witch girls. A lot of tub action in this one. It all leads to a showdown with the witches as they have plans for his horny mortal soul. Hortle. Did Dingus just read us the synopsis of a porno? It's not a porno. How dare I don't know, you? but it worked. But maybe it's just because Dingus' voice... Is that gooey quality? Gooey? Yeah. All right, any last guesses? I don't think I'm going to guess that I have not seen it. 
I think you probably haven't, but yours is the closest guess. Haha, <laughs> Kelly Wand. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen it, so Tom wins. Because this movie is called The Witches of Brestwick. It's a porn. Dingus, you're not. Dingus accidentally looked up a porn movie, Kelly Wand. Dingus, do you understand what, what porn is? No, I don't, Tom. So in porn, you take a real movie and you put a salacious twist on it so that people will buy it. The That's seems to be what you have done here. I'm sorry, guys. I thought it would be appropriate for this particular movie we're watching, especially given Far Kelly's forest. first tagline, which I appreciate you doing, Kelly. Uh, it seems like just doing a porno version of the movie we almost saw. That was a really good one, though, actually. I'm so, okay um, with yeah. oh, the, I'm... The, um, the ruling would go to Tom because he was closest. And I should have just—I thought of barking witches of Brestwick, but not. But that was before you started reading anything. (laughs) All right, so uh, Tom wins. I win, and Kelly won. Next week, you'll be subjecting Dingus and I to a a test of of will or intelligence or strength or some such thing. Dingus and I will be locked in Mortal Kombat. We'll see who wins next week. Dingus, in the meantime, tell us, (laughs) tell the listeners what movie we saw this week. All right, we actually saw a movie called The Witch which I assume is the way it's pronounced, even though it's spelled interestingly. Uh, This is a 2016 American horror mystery movie about how much fun it was to move from England to New England in the early days. It was written and directed by Robert Eggers. It stars Ralph Ineson, Kate Dickey, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Harvey Scrimshaw. The Witch is rated R, for disturbing violent content mm. and graphic nudity. Mm. Okay. <sighs> Kelly Wand, anything missing there? Anything that you think the listeners should know about? If they're considering like taking their children to this movie. Uh, I only noticed one thing because I think this movie is good for everyone. Um, <laughs> the high cholesterol flying oil. Huh. All right. I don't know that that'll fit in the little box with all the other stuff Dingus read, but uh, just I'm glad. I'm Shut g- up! A swine's a goat. <laughs> a swine is I not mean, a goat. Um, yeah. Look, I disagree with you. <laughs> that's not a goat either. Wait, is a female goat a you? No, that's a sheep. It's the circumference. All right. An airplane. Kelly Wand, on Rotten Tomatoes, The Witch is at 90%, which has nothing to do with how good it is. It has to do with how many reviews of it are positive. Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, and you might consider a more uh, accurate measure of how good it is. On Metacritic, the average rating is 83. Mm. The Witch opened at number four, which, considering its limited release, is very good. It's actually the biggest opening weekend of any of A24's movies. A24 is a distributor out in, uh, I think, New York. Oh, wow. Uh, it opened, it was Deadpool's second weekend. That was number one. Then we had Kung Fu Panda. It was barely beaten by, uh, I think it made something like 8.2 million. It was barely beaten by a movie that made 8.5 million called Risen. Do you guys know what Risen is? No. Mm, that's vaguely. The, it's the uh, Joseph Fiennes uh, Jesus movie. Oh. Right. <laughs> so, right. unfortunately, the the witch was beaten out by a Jesus movie. Uh, make of that make of that what you will. But the title would fit the witch if you think about it. Risen the witch. Well, 
You would take the witch part out of the title at that point. Just risen? Be, and just call yeah. it... <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Like, you could have called see? the witch Risen. You could not have called Spoiler. Risen... You could not have called Risen the witch, however. That wouldn't have worked. Well, it's not the witch's name that we know of. Uh, it's worth pointing out because uh, Dingus and I opted out of a cinema score uh participation in a movie that we saw cinema score is basically how how much dumb people like your movie uh <laughs> they went to dingus instantly no dingus and i both were here there's one give him the Thanks. clipboard because i would say i was i was exclaiming nice that's why they did it <laughs> we were both given cinema score cards and we both declined to participate we just took the cards home. wait you can be part of the system you can infiltrate from within you should have done that just give him really give him one z- a hundred and a zero. I have no desire to rank a movie on a on a letter. You know, I rank you rank a child's essay or math questions. You don't rank movies with a letter grade. You should have written seven to nine. This was just a pa- this was just a postcard. It was wasn't even something you write on. You just tear off tabs like like one of those pieces of paper that hangs in the lobby of a apartment building saying uh, I can babysit for you. Like Jocelyn all you thought is- you did at the beginning of uh, House of the Devil. Very good. So uh, the reason I bring this up is The Witch has a cinema score rating of C minus. Batman vs. Superman got a B. (laughs) Which is considered, by the way, a horrible, I read, where they go, oh, it got a devastating B. Uh, Fantastic Four got a C minus. So according to cinema score, The Witch is exactly up there with the Fantastic Four movie that was recently made. Yeah, but in movie college, that's failing. And you guys fucked up the numbers on the number. We didn't. We didn't get to vote for the witch. We were asked to vote for Jeff Nichols' movie Midnight Special. Right. Um, you could have helped it. So, uh, having made, uh, what did, did I say? Eight point two million. Yeah. Heavy. So, A twenty four bought this movie for one million. Uh, their intention was to just do a video on demand release, but due to positive word of mouth it got with early screenings, uh, focus groups, and whatnot, they decided, you know, let's try a theatrical release. And we saw this previously with the movie It Follows, which was picked up for, for a low sum. Uh, was that Miramax? I forgot who picked that up. But they were going to just put it out for video on demand. But it got such good early positive buzz, they thought, let's try a theatrical release. It was hugely successful for It Follows. Um, so that's, that was the case with The Witch. A24 decided, okay, theatrical release. Furthermore, they were super confident as far as how many theaters it released in. Uh, previously, you know, A24 is kind of art house movies. They'll come out to like five, 600 screens, maybe 800. Uh, their previous widest released was uh, Ex Machina at 2,000 screens. And Ex Machina, uh, Ex Machina, by the way, did very well for them. It made $25 million. Uh, so The Witch, they're so confident in that, they released it to 2,200 screens. Uh, and that's big for them because the closest behind Ex Machina – uh, Spring Breakers, they put out on 1,300 screens. Uh, <laughs> so Spring Breakers at 1,300, Ex Machina at 2,000. Those are their top two. And then The Witch comes along, and they're like, you know what? We're going to put this in 2,200 theaters. Uh, it did very well. That's it's impressive. Most, yep, it's their most successful opening weekend so far. We're recording this uh, a little ways past the opening weekend. Uh, and at this point, it is literally like – just about a third of a million shy of breaking their all-time gross record, which is Ex Machina's $25 million. So it looks like this will be uh, A24's most successful movie. I'm shocked that it's doing that much better than Ex Machina. Yeah, well, they banked heavily on it, and it seems to be paying off. Uh, yeah. 
I, mean, I think it's the title. People would rather see something called The Witch, maybe. And it's also being marketed as a horror movie, so maybe there's a lot of... Ex Machina, you're like, is this in Latin? Is there going to be subtitles? Yeah. Right. Do I have to read? Right. Do I have to know what the title means before I see the movie? Ugh. Well, Kelly Wan, The Witch is, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, it's a bit of a downer. Can you, uh, can you bring a little levity to the events by giving us your version of how The Witch would have played out if you had made a movie from this script? Maybe synopsizing what a Kelly Wand witch would be like. Uh, what? <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> supposed to do? Well, do you have a theory on what it would be called? I do not. <laughs> is it, is it uh, as if she were from Italy? I don't understand what anyone's saying. Is it just because it's six in the morning in Germany? Or are you guys... I'm just no, asking I'm for, a, obscure. I'm asking not for making a, sense. a witch synopsis. Oh, Jesus. You just add the whole word? Never mind. Uh, <clears throat> you find out what it's called in the opsis. That's ah, one of those. Like a what? Bond movie. Uh-huh. Is there going to be like an action sequence that opens it, and then at the end of the action sequence we get the title? Yeah, put some music over it really loudly. All right. I'll just yell la 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 into the microphone. Does that work as well? That's what I do for two hours every uh, week. Um, In a 1600s church, Tom Hardy's on trial in front of a bunch of Quakers, (laughs) just like Superman was last week. Yes, questions already. (laughs) Didn't that know Tom Hardy's in this? I'm glad. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated, and I totally missed putting him into the... The star yeah. of the movie. I know. I thought that was weird. I guess you didn't like his performance. But that's typical. <laughs> I usually only list the women anyway. His name's Connor Hardy. Me. Uh, you don't really sound like that. That's just how I sound. Right. I sound more like Leia. Oh God. Why? <laughs> the dour old one of the bunch is all Goodman Hardy. Damn thee! Your crops are stupid. Catherine Heigl daughter is far too hot for this time period. Your young twins are adorably freakish, and your black goat keeps ramming down doors, waking up the townsfolk and asking them to sign his monstrously overwritten book. How do ye plead? Hardy's all. Ye people make me sickly. When we were all shivering with typhoid on ye Mayflower together, we people were about the music. Those were the happiest eight months of my life outside of Roanoke. But now look what you've become. Proctor McConaughey. You call that a mutton chop? And behold how lasciviously goodwife Prudence's ankle is hinted at by her woolen hoop skirts. Plowman Gary, losing only half your children to smallpox. Reverend Mather, caning lepers on a Sunday with only a soft cover Bible burning in my fist. You call yourselves Puritans? I'm out of here. He does a mic drop and <laughs> walks out. It's a little Irish, maybe. He puts his family and all their belongings on a rickety cart and steers them off into the untamed autumnal New England wilderness. As the sun sets, his wife Joan Allen's all, Wait, so what's the surprise? Did you get the promotion? I'll explain later. A couple words are all, The Witchopsis. They move to a farm next to some woods with a witch in it. I'd like to see the comps for that neighborhood. They make a barn. Their corn's disappointingly yellow instead of Crayola, like the Native American kind. Heigl takes the baby out into the middle of the woods for a game of (laughs) hide-and-seek. The baby wins. (laughs) 
I look over at Elizabeth Montgomery sitting beside me and go, my Scarlett Johansson robot farts. When she gets home and explains what happened, the mom's all, you counted to three. That's not how hide and seek's played. Now go pick sumac and pebbles by the river for supper and don't start till you've thought about what you've done. Down by the river, the fat girl lollipop guild twin of the bunch is all, ha ha, you lost to a baby at hide and seek. The Ender's Game brothers all. Oh, oh, Kelly won. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> what? It's just a haircut thing. Oh. It's, it's not. It's not an insult. <laughs> we all thought that movie had moments in it. A lot of them. All, all strung together. Yeah. They came one after the other. That's true. It's a birth, the kid from birth, but that's a little convoluted to call him for the whole opsis, isn't it? And I can't remember. I can't be arsed to remember the character's name. Oh, gosh. Connor? The Enders Game Brothers all. Leave her alone. Uh, hey, so Catherine, uh, I think you missed a sprig there in front of you. Maybe just bend over a little more, yeah. Oh, shit, now you got to smudge dirt on your bodice there. Maybe go into the lake and wash that off. No, no, deeper there where the water is colder. Now shake your hair out. No, slow mower. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll just be over here in these bushes hunting, uh, hunting game. The fat girl twins all. Ha, ha, Grey's Anatomy. Heigl advances on the female annoying twins. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm a witch. I use brooms to make baby fat. My skin's green. I'm wearing a black hat. My smallest kitchen utensil's a cauldron. I make student filmmakers kick maps in the river. And you know what else? She reaches the little girl and wraps her hands around her throat. I'm married to Dick York. The kid runs away screaming and sobbing. Heigl calls out, and Sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> Ender's Game rises up sweatily from behind and wraps an arm around her again. He's all, don't worry. Greener the skin, sweeter the juice. But she only likes him as a brother. To celebrate the river scene, Ender's Game accompanies his dad into the woods to collaborate on shooting a rabbit in the head. (laughs) The dad's all, here, watch, son. This is how my dad taught me to teach bunnies who's boss. Now hold the uh, handle or thing here. (laughs) Your other here. Uh, now, violently used your thumb to gently flick the trigger. Safety first. Ow, my eye! Oh. <laughs> hey, Dad, is there an age limit on being breastfed by witches? Like, in either direction? Just asking. Never mind that. Quick, the rabbit, it's getting away! Yeah, it was. Now it's just staring at us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dad. Uh, now what? If a witch stole my baby brother, Connor, and made flying oil out of his fat, <laughs> do you think there are other fluids she might need? You know, like puberty ones? Just asking. Who's Connor? Never mind, Papa. You've answered my question. So would the bear trap catch? We hear a sharp metal snap. The dad's all, ugh. Sheepishly raises his foot. It's got a bear trap on it. There's a reaction shot of the rabbit staring at them. Princess Leah's hologram leans over to me and rasps. Darth Maul was the son of one of the witches of Dathomir, although technically she was called a night sister. Now roll to see if you're surprised. (laughs) 
that night in the table room. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, thank you for making women to bake this bread, and vice versa. May your good gloriness prevent witchcraft from possessing our livestock, our corn, the bear strap still on my foot right now, that crow picking me wife's nipple, those jerk-offs in Salem who think their shit smells so righteous, and my terrible secret involving my wife's cup. Amen. <laughs> the mom's all. Speaking of which, what did happen to my cup? And baby. Hi, Gull. <laughs> Hi, Gull's all. <laughs> that night. Yeah, I know it's you. We're the only ones in this bed, woman. Hey, I think we should give Heigl to a different family. <sighs> Why are you so sure she's a witch? Oh, she's a witch? That only strengthens my case. Okay, hey, you say that about all the kids, and two, they can all hear you right now. These walls are made <laughs> out of goat. <laughs> yeah, Mom, we can hear you. Look, Maud, I don't understand where all this negativity is coming from. I'm on a hot streak right now. The crops are growing great. The twins' faces look amazing. I got a great deal on that goat from the sexy old woman on the broom in the woods. And best of all, odds are one in four that I'm pretty sure those stupid townspeople are missing the shit out of us right now. Dude, we own that one horse town. And it's horse. <sighs> New York. They won't last three days without us. Let's see them try to hang an ox without my witty encouragement. But if it makes you feel better, I'll send the kids out tomorrow on an ill-fated witch hunt while I chop wood. Hey, Mom, Black Phillip just came to our window and asked if you could keep it down. He's trying to write. <laughs> the next day, Heigl goes out riding a horse while Ender's Game carries a blunderbuss and glances up at her legs periodically. He's all, hey, uh, maybe you should ride side saddle. No, the other way. So your creamy thighs are on this. No, actually, go back to normal saddle. That's kind of doing it for me. Hey, check out this cool trick Dad showed me yesterday. He raises the gun at the black rabbit who's still in the same spot, <laughs> squints down the sight, and pulls the trigger. The gun goes off in his face and sends the horse cantering off into the woods, dragging Heigl from the stirrup and bashing her head into rocks and trees as it flees. The brother gets up, wipes gunpowder onto his eye, and goes, huh, pretty cool, huh? Were you paying attention? He wanders around till he finds a cottage with a witch in it. He's all, ugh, yeah, witches. He hefts the gun. Let's Hansel this shit. Come on out, Granny. Excruciatingly tasty Australian model Sarah Stevens comes out and smiles at him. <laughs> His gun barrel rises slowly from the crowd, points skyward, and starts throbbing. Oh, jeez. He's all, uh. As she leans in and starts kissing him, she reveals her right hand as a hideous crone-like claw and starts stroking his cheek with it. He's all still interested. Meanwhile, Heigl, covered in dirt and blood, staggers back to the farm, horseless. Her mom's all, Ah, oh, sweetie, there you are. Listen, I want to apologize to you for being so bitchy about you losing the baby. It was an accident. You're young. You have a lot going on. I get that. But the important thing is that you learn to be more careful. And we still have the horse, we still have your other brother, we still have the gun. So I'll shut up about the cup. I love you, Heigl. I hope you can forgive me. So how'd your pretty witch hunt go? That night? Right, that motherfucking witch owes me a horse, a gun, and two kids. Although, Lord Killing, I propose we round down, as I think we can all agree. No, it's just us. That Connor did have a couple annoying qualities. So here's the plan. I'll head out tomorrow at the crack of noon, unarmed. Fuck you, rabbit. <laughs> Find the so-called sex cottage, an 
And if the inhabitant's an old woman, I'll kick the shit out of her. And if it's Sarah Stevens, I'll uh, trade myself for the boy and just stay with her as her, uh, you know, hostage. Then don't come after me. Sacrifice. Also, for what it's worth, I can't take credit for this whole plan. Black Philip whispered most of it into my ear just now. Speaking of which, Heigl here didn't steal your cup. I sold it for the bear trap. There's a metal snap. He sighs and looks down and starts trying to pry his foot out of the trap again. He's all, look, the important fact we all have to accept is that Ender's game's never coming back. If there's a 1% chance that's an absolute certainty, then I don't have to tell you what that means. <laughs> the sooner we learn to live with the prospect of never seeing the face of sweet, uh, Ender, right, sooner we forget whatever you just said, sooner we can, you know, 1%. Ender's game walks on screen and passes out. <laughs> Next day... <laughs> uh, I don't remember it being good when I was writing it. The next day, they all stand around. It's a pleasant surprise. The next day, they all stand around and stare at Ender's game as he moans and thrashes and cackles in Latin on the makeshift floor. He's all, oh, Hazel, you're close. Australian. He throws up a hairball. Heigl shrugs and goes, I don't know. I kind of like him like this, but should we take him to a doctor? The dad's all, 1598 just called. They want their snake oil back. Now, come on, link up. They all sigh, link hands around the writhing boy and start chanting various psalms. Suddenly, Ender sits up and goes, well, well, the dark night of Gotham and the set of Krypton. It's like a real zippity wing a dig a ling Cuckoo-roo. <laughs> Obviously possessed by a 1600s woman. <laughs> I just want to say I'm, I'm so glad we haven't seen the last of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor thank you for that it's annoyingly similar to my natural voice so that's why it scares me and depresses me like it anyway Ender's game grins and dies the sluggo twin points at Heigl and goes she did it Heigl's all wait what the dad's all Heigl the twins make a good point you were here when he died we all were. And how do you spin the cup? And my affair. Black Phillips all and the talking goat. The dad's all right. All right. Just for this, I'm tying up every surviving child and leaving them in the freezing cold barn overnight. Let's see the witch come up with an answer to that. <laughs> a bunch of stuff in a barn happens. The next morning, Tom Hardy wakes up, blesses his morning fart, and looks over at Joan Allen. She's in a rocking chair nursing a crow. Tom Hardy thought, ah, good. Looks like everything's back to normal around here. As he heads for the cottage's front door, he calls out, Hey, kids in the barn, sorry about last night. I realize morning your brother in here might have been more comfortable. Speaking of which, this thing he threw up ain't half bad. Also, Heigl, sorry again for doubting you and calling you a witch. Daddy's just had a lot of work stress lately. Bye. Jesus, the way to the front door sure is longer than normal. <laughs> he emerges and stares at the barn. It's half burnt, half turned into a toad. All the livestock are turned inside out. Brooms spell out the words witchcraft rules. The twins are off screen. Heigl staggers into view, her hair in fetching disarray. She's all, a goat did it. He's all, fucking I knew it. Don't worry, honey, I got this. He grabs up his axe. Okay, baby, now where'd the goat go? <laughs> The goat rams him 
from behind, dislocating his ass. He turns around and feels bad for the goat, so he drops his axe. Some wood falls on him. Inside the house, Joan Allen's all. Hey, family, I had the most wonderful dream last night, and I have a totally new attitude. Hi, Gull, I'm sorry I thought you were possessed by an old woman. And husband, I'm sorry I ever doubted your abilities with an axe. She comes out into the yard and stares around at stuff, then at Heigl, then at Black Phillip. Heigl's all, Mom, this goat's problematic and can talk. Black Phillip's all, who are you going to believe? Shaking with rage, <laughs> the mom attacks Heigl. But Heigl cuts her cheek with a whisk, so they call it a draw. Heigl hangs out in the yard till night falls, then wanders off into the woods with Black Phillip. She's what? all, thank you. She's all, oh, what a day. The first few minutes of the morning were dumb, but other than that, Black Phillip's all, Heigl, I think you misunderstood me. I didn't mean to sign your name on every page. She comes to a field where a bunch of naked women are cackling, chanting in Latin, and flying around a fire. Heigl's all, wow, got room for one more? They cackle and smear themselves with baby blood. Heigl's all, finally someone who gets me. She disrobes, daubs herself with baby, and starts levitating. Black Phillips all. Um, I'm not sure who these people are. (laughs) (laughs) But the witch's cottage, just a couple more miles to these brambles. Are you ready? Heigl twirls above the treetops and goes, nah, I'm good. I look over at Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer and go, I've never been so jealous of a baby. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Which ops us? Who, uh, who, who Pfeiffer? Michelle. Um, Michelle. <laughs> the thing is, we've been watching a show with a character named Michonne, so we're, we're a little bit, uh, you know, it messes up the name Michelle for us. Here. We're really worried about her welfare right now. Is it David Michonne? It's Michaud. Oh. Uh, all right. Uh, okay. Kelly Wand, how, yeah, how do you feel about my assessment that this movie isn't for dingus? I think you were wrong, and I can't wait to find out if I'm right about you having been wrong. Because I think dingus – I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. But he might just say that just to spite you. Uh, point. Right, right. I could do any movie. I thought The Witch was pleasant. Dingus, how do you feel about me saying that this movie is not for you? Uh, I get why you said that. I understand uh, your reasoning. It was me. I just said, ha ha, Kelly Wand. I just wanted to gloat briefly over that. I I get why you said that. Um, uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm friends with your sister, um, and she uh, agreed with you on that point. And I said, guys, I can handle scary movies. And um, and she said, (laughs) that's that's not the reason. Uh, and so I totally see what what you were saying, and that was really hard. I mean, it was it was a really difficult movie to watch, but it certainly is for me. I mean, I love this movie. Uh, and that partly uh, is I I I knew if I said it wasn't for you, you would want to see it. Because yeah. if I just said, "Hey, here's a really cool movie," you'd be like, "Okay, I'll see it at some point." But I knew if I I could probably trick you into especially wanting to see it. And this is before I knew we were going to do it on the podcast. Uh, so even though I did kind of mean it when I say it's not for you, I, I mainly said it because I want you to see this, even though it's not for you. But he probably thought it was a horror movie and that you would say not for you because it was a horror movie. So it might have been a tricky – it was I, a tight 
Walk. I kind of knew what Tom was probably driving at, even though I have no I, idea what, what it was about. <laughs> not till I, I saw I, it. He knows me pretty well. Uh, he knows when to flag me or when to wave me off of things. Um, but it's a hard movie to sort of explain what kind of movie it is. Well, he wouldn't. He if if he actually thought that he would have. He would have explained exactly what it is. He would have broken it down. This isn't for you. And here's what happens in the movie. Now, don't worry about seeing it. Um, he's mm-hmm. pretty good about that. Uh, given that he never did that, he never said uh, these are these are a couple scenes that I you know I think that you're not going to really get into, and the movie's not going to work for you, and it doesn't work at all. Um, you know, he's pretty good about that. So I, I had a feeling that uh, that I was being, I don't know, not trolled, but... Trolled. Goated. 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 Yeah, go- goated. Goated. <laughs> like when Tom told you that uh, Return of the King was getting terrible reviews. That, that was getting punked. That was... Yeah. Prank. Yeah. No, this this was definitely me pushing dingus towards it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, Kelly Wan, you are, like me, are a big uh, horror aficionado. Uh, what did you make of, of this thing? Well, I don't see it as a horror movie, but I see it as a just a period piece. Um, it's a great movie for witches. I think that's what I really liked about it. Like you mean as an audience? Yeah, it's like a witch. It's like witches of Breswick if you if you are a 1600s witch. Like, All right. it's her favorite movie, I think. Now, I don't believe that you. Uh, are you serious when you say you don't see it as a horror movie? Yeah, I'm really. Interested. I'm- I'm curious about that. He said it a couple of times, and I don't know if he's griefing us or what. Well, it just didn't scare me. It did, I mean, I think a horror movie. I think that phrase just is refers to a formula. What what genre would you put this in then? Historical. Historical fable, fairy tale. Um, I don't know. Just a movie. It does. Defi- I feel it defies categorization. Well, it does. Uh, Robert Eggert. Robert Digger himself, as you know from the subtitle, and right off the get at the get go, he wants you to think of it as a, as a folk tale. Yeah, right. But I, I think, uh, like a lot of folk tales, it certainly has horrific elements, and it's scared. Like it, I wouldn't yeah, say scared. I wouldn't say it scared me, but it certainly unnerved me. And it both seen it both times. I mean, the first time I saw it, I, I, I couldn't even concentrate on certain things, and there were times where I was afraid something's going to jump out, and I was kind of looking away. Uh, so I was really glad to get to see it a second time, just, you know, wide eyed and not flinching. Uh, and still I was incredibly uneasy watching it. Uh, right. it reminded me in a way just how physically draining it was, uh, of under the skin, just the experience yeah. of a really competent director, really knowing how to ratchet up the tension and make you uneasy. And that I think is a, is a more difficult skill than scaring you because so often scaring you just throw a cat on screen, you know, That's or, what I'm saying. That's horror movies horror. these days are not they're not they're not horror they're startling. I mean horror isn't isn't scary it's startling and you know this was the opposite of that. There's 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 possibly one maybe two jump scares in this movie and neither of them feels cheap. Um and I I still just found it incredibly unnerving in a way that wouldn't have worked in it with a jump scare movie. Well, well I just certainly really, I think go ahead Kelly. Well, just really good and interesting. I was just really wrapped up in the filmmaking, and so I wasn't like analyzing. I like I wasn't I wasn't really scared or thinking or, or like trying like feeling even the dread. I was just really like caught up in. Yeah. Oh my! But, wow, um, I'm shocked yeah. that you said that because because uh, what I was going to say right then was that I think that certainly horror movies as a genre, and I'm far more of a I don't know if the word dilettante would even apply. I don't even I know if I'm that level. 
Um, I'm far less experienced with them than you guys are. Um, but it, I think that uh, a, a director being able to um, master that that feeling of dread, which I think this movie certainly does for me, um, is an element of horror that is very important and much more important to me than whether or not you can throw a cat at me. Um, and I think, and actually, one of our listeners, Robert Perry Cruz, wrote in and said, "He, this is the first time he's hid his face watching a movie in as long as he can remember, because I think he was experienced experiencing that same sense of dread." Um, so I disagree with you that, but maybe that's because you're you're a jaded horror veteran or something, because I was I was constantly um, worried and afraid for these characters because this movie is so well cast and these characters are so yes. well drawn um, that I was constantly worried for them, um, and so that that's where my sense of dread comes from, and I think that 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 serves horror very well. And it, it makes it clear very early on it's not going to pull any punches by cutting open a baby, like a, having yeah. a, an infant kidnapped and slaughtered. Uh, and it's not it's not shy about that. Uh, right, right. You know, right off the bat, this is what can happen. You know, no right. no dogs will be spared, no kittens, no babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Chris Markinson makes that same point. He says, you know, this, this movie shows you that it's willing to sacrifice a baby, then the gloves are off, and anything can happen to anybody. Uh, how did you guys feel about... Uh, knowing early on, or actually, do we that there is something supernatural here? That it is that somebody did carry off the baby. Uh, have, it's basically showing the monster, as it, as it were, rather than leaving us guessing uh, for more of the movie. How did you feel about that happening so quickly in the movie? Well, the title's a spoiler, um, so it's more you know it's supernatural when it can just appear that quickly and disappear that quickly. Well, directors cheat, they hadn't shown her. directors cheat yeah. with that kind of thing all the time. That'd be a pretty big cheat, though. Yeah. Because we see, we're watching her do it. So from her point of view, it's half a second and then nothing. But you kind of, it's telegraphed, too. I did feel dread during that part, actually. Forget what I said earlier. I was being dumb. But you didn't, you didn't mind knowing off the bat that, yeah, that, I, I just have had conversations with people where they're like, I, I wish that it had been drawn out more as a psychological thing longer. And I think it's actually possible to watch that first scene and assume I think it's just her and assume that Thomason is an unreliable narrator. And right. that, yeah, she's done something like there, there's nothing that the other characters have seen yet. Um, and I don't think Robert Eggers is pretending. Like, I don't think he's moving in this direction. But I think it's of possible. Ambiguity. I think it's possible to interpret that early on as: is she guilty? Is she really a witch? And there is even a little bit of playing with that when she, quote unquote, confesses to mercy. Um, so uh, yeah, like, like I think that, that there's a very mild undercurrent of that. But for the most part, I feel like it. It just early on says, "Yep, there's a witch in here. Uh, something terrible. She can fly." She has a broom. Uh, I love, by the way, how it uses the, the standard witch tropes of the poison apple and the broom that the witch flies on and the hovel in the woods. Uh, I love how it plays with those and, and puts in yeah. different interpretations of them. Uh, Do you think that um, – I don't remember the tale, the fairy tale that well. Uh, even though we've seen a movie that was based on it. Um, do you think that Hansel and Gretel has supernatural elements? I don't remember. Oh, well, all fa- I mean, all fairy tales do, don't they? I mean, the, the- right. This is labeled as a folk tale, and so that's why I didn't mind it at all. In answer to your question about this being revealed early on, um, 
I think it's a wonderful counterpoint to the way that the opening of the movie is dealing with a different kind of, if you'll excuse me saying mysticism, as far as how they're viewing Christianity and viewing uh, original sin, and then later on where Samuel has gotten to and Caleb trying to figure that out and trying to get the information out of his father. Um, I think these are two different worldviews, if you will, and that they're there might actually be power on one end might suggest that there is this struggle going on. And I like that. I like that the movie is explicit about that. I, I would say Dingus, there's a single worldview. Like I, I think that part okay, of yeah. what, right. what makes this movie work f- for me so well, uh, there are different types of horror. There's like psychological horror. Uh, there's, there's cosmic horror. That's how people refer to HP Lovecraft. And you might even make an argument that under the skin is cosmic horror. Mm. Uh, there's existential horror. Body horror. Body horror, right. Uh, I, I consider this part of a, a very small genre and certainly one of my favorite entries into the genre. My over and under is a better and a worse example of this. I consider this theological horror in that it, it, it is about one specific worldview that is Christianity and some of the implications of it. Mm-hmm. And an important part of this movie is what these people believe and how strongly they believe it. Um this yeah. and, this, and this, this, this they're right. This is set up in the very first scene, by the way, that yeah. uh that they're they're they've done something, and I love that we don't know what, that the established religion in this community doesn't want them to be part of it. Uh and they feel so strongly about whatever theological difference they have that they uh go out into the wilderness. They're going to after having crossed this ocean, they're going to then try to go into a completely different wilderness and make a go of it there because they believe so strongly in something. Right, and William even calls them false Christians, doesn't he? Right. Uh, the, the William uh, the, the father, Ralph. Oh, he calls the people in the church in the city yeah. or the co- yeah. Commonwealth. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. His his uh, in standing in standing fast and God, that guy's voice. Good Lord. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved his voice, and uh, I didn't. You know, I, I could place him for so long in the movie. I know he was in Guardians. Um, I know he's in Game of Thrones. Uh, I don't remember him necessarily from The Office because it's been a long time since I've seen that. But man, just listening to the way his voice works in that opening scene, I was just totally taken, especially when you hear the – anyway, I'll get on to other things there. Anyway, uh, let me just say let me just say this, Tom. Uh, another listener who wrote in, Grant Stewart, it is going to be so happy that you brought this up because he's totally looking forward to your theological interpretation of this. Well, yeah, so uh, a, a big part of the horror here, like we can identify with existential horror and cosmic horror, of course, has to do with, hey, what if you don't know stuff? Uh, psychological horror, everybody's scared. You know, if, if there's something crazy or if you don't know, like if you're losing your mind, people can appreciate that. Right. What I really admire about this, these are people that don't believe like, you know, 95 percent of the people who go see this movie will consider the belief of the characters on screen as completely alien to them. Uh, even if you go see this and, and you're, you're Christian, uh, you know, their belief is so specific to a couple of theological tenets which lend horror to the movie. Uh, and part of the brilliance of the movie is that Eggers is such a good director and writer. These actors are so fantastic, especially the kids, by the way, at, uh, at expressing how these people react with their beliefs to these horrific events. Um, that even though it's completely alien to us, I don't think it matters. Uh, I, I think there's something universal about the horror here, despite the, the fact that so much of it relies on 
a specific theology. And that namely being – and the movie is shot through with this. Uh, I think the first theological foundation for this movie, which we wouldn't understand, is the idea that, that our default state as human beings is, is sinfulness, right. uh, is original sin, that even Sam, the baby – needs to be saved from the consequences of sin, namely going to hell, damnation. Uh, and what these characters struggle with, and this is shown very economically in a couple of scenes, is what happens when you die? How do you know if you're going to heaven or hell? And at one point, I think it's Caleb talking about Samuel being in hell. Uh, just the idea, it's bad enough that the, that the infant has been killed or lost. It's even worse, and we can't imagine this today because we, most of us who don't have strong Christian beliefs, it's even worse to imagine that he's being tormented in hell forever. Uh, so that that kind of thing is the theological horror here, uh, and and the 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 things that they express as uh, what 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 they are sinful about, like what they feel shame and guilt about, to us seems so petty, um, mm-hmm. but these actors are so powerful with how they sell it. I think of Kate Dickey's uh, monologue where she confesses to her husband that she is having a loss, a, a crisis of faith. You know, That is her confession, that she is doubting her faith, and that is to her a horrible, horrible thing. Um, you know, When William dies and says, my father, uh, corruption thou art my father, he's basically saying he has been completely spoiled and destroyed and rotted and corrupted by pride. Uh, and you know that's, that's a peccadillo to, to us today. Um, so again, these people believe so differently from us, and the things that plague them to us seem so pit, uh, pitiful and minor, but they're a central tenet of their faith. And the more horrifying part of their faith, I find, so if you grant that you are sinful, that that is your default state, and you, of course, don't want to go to hell. You want to be redeemed, and, and whether it's because you're selfish and you don't want to suffer in the afterlife or because you, you really want to love God as best as you can. For whatever reason, if you want redemption, a central question, and Christianity has struggled with this as long as it's been around, is how do I get redeemed? And the two strains, like the two opposites of the pole, are you're either redeemed by what you do, by your actions – and that's uh, the idea is uh, those are called works or you have no control over it and it's totally up to God and it's only your faith, your belief. So are you redeemed by what you do or by what you believe? And traditionally, any Christian will fall somewhere in the middle. But these people, Puritans who left the Church of England and, and England and Europe, they felt they were reacting against the idea that a church was so based on salvation by works. By participating in, the, in liturgies, by giving material wealth to the church, for instance, uh, th- their beliefs were a reaction to that, uh, to where they believed, nope, none of that stuff saves us. It's purely the grace of God. And the horrifying part of that, you have no control over it. It's, it's mm-hmm. darn close to existentialism. Like you are aware of a terrible thing waiting for you, and you have no control over it. It's, it, you know, in existentialism, that's the same idea. You're going to die. You have no control over it. This idea of, of salvation by faith, it's up to God. And there are a couple of great expressions of this. Like it's how, it's how uh, uh, William says to Caleb. That's how he responds when Caleb is saying is Sam in hell. All he can say is it's up to God. Right. And, and that's horrifying. Uh, 
So and K- Caleb is trying to put this in some sort of a. Uh, he's trying to challenge it a little bit. He's trying to make it understandable to him. He, he he says, "What wickedness hath he done?" And then he goes on to say, "What about me?" I mean, he's trying to to make this into something that he can understand as a human being. And, and he before can't, he can't understand it. Well, that, that's the thing. The walk the, that walk into the woods where they had that conversation. Caleb is reciting the doctrine of original sin to to right. his father, and. That's the thing. He, maybe he didn't do anything. You know, Samuel was never was old enough to do anything, or, or conceivably even sin. But original sin was all over him. Like he was, the, the default state is you're going to hell, uh, and yeah, and that's a horrible thing. And, and so, I, I think what why this is one world view is that this idea of 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 evil, um, of a default state being evil, that there is. In this world, there's there's a personification of this. Like there really is a Satan and a witch. And in addition to the, these minor peccadillos of pride and coveting your silver cup and looking at your your sister's chest, uh, you know, puberty basically. Puberty is a sin. Uh, is that it is even worse than that? Is everything they believe and then some is, is real? It, it, the world is that horrible. Uh, and, and look where they are too. Like this is theology. Like those people were in an untamed wilderness where their crops were like constantly dying. Like it was just like primitive man. That's another thing. Yeah, is that this land is cursed? Is that the corn yeah. won't grow? The eggs have bloody carcasses yeah. in them. The they're milking a goat and, and blood comes out. The, the gun, guns misfire. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the middle of nowhere, it's yeah. just so precarious in existence. It, it's so, a, that's another. It's like an American wilderness horror. Like, yeah, theology is what kept got them through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, I'll just say real quick. So my my under because I feel this is another movie that wants to be theological horror but doesn't really appreciate what it's got. And I've watched this recently and was hugely disappointed in it. Uh, my under and I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the Omen. I'm not bracket. I'm sorry, as the Witch, uh, giving it away. My under is the Omen because I think <laughs> the Omen is trying to be theological horror and it's terrible at it. Uh, and the example that's a horror movie. Uh, well, an example of horror that I think is theological horror that is better than The Witch, and it's a little unfair to compare them because this thing is uh, this this thing is just there's it's the acme or the the pinnacle of horror in a way. Uh, I think The Exorcist is theological horror because um, The Exorcist is about right. it's about faith. Um, uh, so my over and under would be The Exorcist and The Omen, and that's not bracketing. The Witch is way closer to The Exorcist than The Omen. Um, yeah. Something else I really like about this movie and its its themes is just like it also matters that she's a witch as opposed to a demon. Like she's a female witch because mm-hmm. like it affects all the characters over – like the Sam Raimi had this quote on the uh, – on the Juwan director's commentary because he was championing that movie. He was just saying how women make really better protagonists because they're – you know – they're just more victimy, but also if they're the then, but then you lose them as if, if they're like the antagonist, they're really good too because like you have that mystique and mysteriousness and that otherness. So that movie, this movie gets kind of gets to have it both ways because our our point of view character is basically Thomason, but like all the characters are going through by chance the fact that it's a woman. Uh, character persecuting them matters because like both the kids are going through puberty and the dad's trying to grow crops like the fertility mm-hmm. is down mm-hmm. and she had an affair so they're really who, haunted who had an affair the mom did 
Uh, I don't think so. Why, why are you saying that? What are you talking about? Didn't she say that in bed? Didn't she confess that? No, I don't think so. She, she basically confessed to how much she loved God, and it sounds vaguely uh, sexual almost, uh, right. like being bathed in his love. But no, she didn't right. have an affair. No. I thought that was part of her speech and why she lost her faith. No, 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 no. Yeah, I don't. She thought all, everything was happening. I mean, unless I missed something, but I, I've seen it a couple of times, and I don't, I don't think there was anything. Again, her, her confession was that she was struggling with her faith, that she was having a hard time believing uh, in the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, so when she said faithless, maybe I misunderood. Right, right. It wasn't like like unfaithful. I've been unfaithful. It wasn't oh, like the so. Diane Lane movie. With yeah, it wasn't Diane. Yeah, right, not that kind of unfaithful. <laughs> All right. Oh, but I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, Kelly Wand. You were, you were no, talking. no, that's it. That was kind of my just, you know, that was why I thought you liked it too. Like why? Because you were the first to see the movie, and I could tell by your reaction to it that it was it was kind of a it, they were deep waters. Well, def- definitely, yeah. The, the fact that these are you know, Christianity being so at this point relentlessly yeah. patriarchal, uh, right. it, it does that our point of view is a woman, the the villain is a woman, uh, and I, I feel the I don't know about payoff, but I'm reminded of Crimson Peak. By the time that it's a mother and daughter in this battle of death in their nightgowns mm-hmm. with their hair down, like they have. The costumes in this movie are amazing, yeah. uh, and and the director was a production designer previously, and it shows. This movie is gorgeous, and the costumes are, are a big part of that. Um, when there, There's just something so metaphorical about them being out of their costumes in their nightgowns with their hair down and having this bloody fight uh, that I just thought visually and as far as a, a sartorial, sartorial progression <laughs> was, yeah. was amazing. Yeah, And then her shedding it afterward. Like a skin. Oh, absolutely. You're right, Dingus. Absolutely. And she uh, yeah. loses her shrift at the very end. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So many beautifully executed ideas in this movie. And even shots. Like, good Lord, the shot of her yeah. walking naked through the woods with the goat alongside her. That That's the stuff of, like, amazing album yeah. covers or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so one of uh, – the director has said in interviews that two, he basically broke two rules when he made this movie – that are conventional rules of movie making and entertainment in general, and that's never work with children or animals, <laughs> uh, yeah. or near water. I think he said. By God, the the, the animals were great. I, I'm hugely partial to that rabbit, but uh, the, the children in this are freaking amazing. Yeah, uh, Kelly one, I think you called them adorably freakish, like the two little yeah. twins. Yeah. That's how I think people looked back then. They added a lot, a very a great sense of place. Well, you're I right. Think. I mean, it definitely didn't look like somebody cast out of, you know, Redondo Beats no. or something. It was amazing. <laughs> they looked like those baked apple dolls. And I just thought they were they were just the most adorable little monkeys. I mean, that was yeah, so, yeah. so precious. I just wanted to hug those little kids. They were so cute. It's misdirection too because they're fucking around with Black Phillip. Right, right, I know, and they have a seizure, which yeah, they're, and they're they are kind of creepy. I mean, right, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. And not yeah. creepy like, like lie. And, but not like you know shining twins creepy, but like cute and creepy like yeah right right beautiful faces on those kids um, yeah uh, Anna Taylor Joy of course I think uh, a lot of great. people focus on how great she was but the the kid who blew me away was Harvey Scrimshaw just yeah how does a kid and I don't know the answer to this but how does a kid nail that death scene like that? Oh, that I don't know. He nailed that, every scene. I think it's large. I mean, when you have a kid doing that kind of thing, um, just like with um, Quentin Wallace in a way, uh, I think a lot of it has to be laid at the feet of the director. A really good child performance is often 
often nurtured sure. by a really good director. Um, but then sometimes they just channel. I mean, not to make it weird or spiritual or anything, um, but sometimes at a certain age, uh, kids can just do that. But it's definitely nurtured by a good director. And I, but I, I don't think you can understate though just how I mean to, to have a kid laugh talented. just say just say just laugh maniacally I mean that right. can come out so falsely and I don't know how many takes they had yeah. to do but it just looked I mean there was so much, it was so close on him he had so much conviction with what he was saying the dialogue yeah. was so borderline ridiculous yeah. uh, and he just had no I mean his that, expression that, yeah his expressions that that scene just blew me away I mean that. That right there for me was a highlight of what this movie accomplished with, with child actors. And, and throughout, there's all great stuff. And, and I don't know, by the way, it's fair to call Anna Taylor uh, Joy a child actor because she's – I think she's like a model. She's like 20 or something, right? Uh, yeah. I have no idea. Probably. But Harvey Scrimshaw, definitely a little kid. And just, yeah, that kid's face and especially that death scene, just amazing stuff. What an awesome name. He sounds like one of the names we would read from an email yeah, exactly. from one of our listeners. Uh, okay, now we have one from Harvey Scrimshaw. Really? I love that name. I love seeing the name. And then later on, there's a thank you to another Scrimshaw in the long like list of thank yous. Um, I just love that name, Scrimshaw. What a cool name. Yeah. You don't Forget his acting. He just may be able to trade up and qualify as a listener of us. <laughs> plays um, cards. What do you guys think? And Tom brought this up a minute ago a little bit when he was talking about uh, – is it Catherine? Um, so Kate, Kate Dickey's the actress, and her name was Catherine. I kept wanting Catherine. to call her Kate in the movie, but that's the actress. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, you talked about her prayer having a weird, almost sexual feel to it as far as uh, how she views herself as in the bosom of Christ or or him bathing her or whatever. Um, and then there's, of course, the sexual tension um, between Caleb and um, Thomason, which Thomason, what a cool name for her. Concept. Yeah. I just kept thinking, am I hearing that right, Thomason? What a what a wonderful name. I've never and me heard wondering, before. me wondering, like, is she doing that on purpose when she's washing, and then she's holding him and comforting him? But and the mother is talking about the fact that she's now she's basically another woman in the household, and it's time for her to get out. Um, what do you think about that sexual stuff? Because the reason I'm asking, one of the reasons I'm asking is that this was occurring to me whenever we got those close shots of her uh, of her. Um, decolletage or, or cleavage or whatever that that Caleb was focusing on, but also because Robert Perry Cruz was saying, and I'll just read it. It's it's a pretty good quote. He just says the the way the family's own failings spell out their doom was a chilling Puritan spin on the classic teenager having sex, getting killed trope. Um, I, I'm just wondering what you guys think about sex in this movie. Uh, I wish. It, oh, go ahead, Kelly. Sorry. No, no, I just that was a it was just like that's a good point. Uh, I would disagree strongly. So I I don't feel the, the 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 teenager having sex and getting killed by Jason. You know that's a slasher movie trope. Uh, I, I don't horror. think well that that kind of yeah it's a type of horror. Uh, I don't think that's what's going on here. Like I don't think I don't think we are looking at sexuality so much as the confusion of puberty because uh, okay. he's not leering at her. He's like when he first sees he looks away like he knows he's being taught. That it's wrong, like sexuality, and it's not – like there's no hint of incest. I don't think that – No, Thomas, I, I agree. Yeah, and I don't think that Thomason is flaunting it or is even that aware of it. No. I mean, she knows something's wrong with her brother, but she doesn't understand puberty. But he's not above puberty. Like, Well, no one is. Right, right. It's a biological right. thing that happens to you. Right. Um, but he – but I don't think it's a, it's a character's failing so much. Like it's a failing when you have premarital sex in a Friday the 13th movie and you're going to get killed or when you smoke marijuana and you're going to get killed. 
Right. Like there's, he this, thinks it there's this silly idea of like moral judgment in slasher movies that gives them more credit than they deserve. Um, but but so it's it's no more a failing than Kate Dickey worrying about the silver cup her father gave her. It's a yeah. human foible that because of their theology, because of their worldview, they feel they need to address. They feel they need to to work on that part of themselves. Uh, so I don't feel that he's being punished for his failings so much as the witch takes advantage of their weaknesses. Okay. Uh, and, and you think, by the way, how each character dies. Uh, uh, William dies under literally under the fruits of his own labor. You see him chopping the wood out there. The goat pushes him into the wood pile. He gets gored, of course, but the wood pile then lands on him and buries him. Uh, uh, Kate Dickey. She's concerned about, you know, her daughter. She, she even voices this, and this seems like a super, uh, like almost subconscious thing. She voices in that scene where she's attacking her daughter. You know, you, you're trying to corrupt my, my husband and my son. There's this, there's this, uh, almost resentfulness of her daughter's budding sexuality, and she fears her daughter. She wants the daughter sent away. Her daughter kills her. You know, she is killed by her own daughter. In the right. face. In the face, in the neck, and yeah, in the, yeah. yeah, in the back, yeah, she's yeah. she's killed properly all over. Uh, so Harvey, it's more Harvey sexuality Scrimshaw. than sex. And Harvey Scrimshaw, by the way, I think, or Caleb, I think Caleb dying by a poisoned apple. I think the poisoned apple you can think of as a metaphor for sexuality or puberty or whatever. Uh, but he's he's killed by a you know the poison in an apple. I think. Uh, so I wouldn't say that it's punishment in the sense that it people think of it in slasher movies as the witch using their weaknesses to to kill them. Uh, they're, they're what they consider pride, corruption, sin. Um, which isn't that the, well, the sixteen hundreds part? Isn't that what Kelly wanted? Well, isn't that kind of what that what the listeners saying is like? It's the sixteen hundreds version of that. Since to them, that's what's sort of happening. Like we're being punished for our sins. Like they're isn't that how it feels to them to the characters? Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, I guess you could think of it that way. But I, I don't see this as a moral cause and effect movie. Like I don't see. I don't think it's gone, I don't think if they'd gone out into the wilderness, not coveting the cup, not being in puberty, and uh, not <laughs> uh, not feeling prideful of their work, I think a witch still would have killed them. I don't. But think in different ways. Them because of these things, and in fact, that's part of the theological horror: is they're just victims of evil. And they believe that they deserve it, and that's horrifying because we yeah. watching this know they don't deserve it. They're trying as hard as they can to be good people. They're putting themselves at the at the mercy of God's grace, something over which they have no control. And this evil, basically, in this view of the world, there is a Satan. Satan kills them anyway. Uh, and that's why it's like theological horror is that no matter how much faith you have, no matter how much you – Wish and hope for the grace of God, Satan will kill you. Uh, I think I didn't see it as a horror movie because I sort of saw like it as Thomason's coming out story, an origin story. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, it's, fuck my family. This life is stupid. Yeah, parte. Well, there is that sense of, and I was wondering this, and I think Chris might have said something about this too. This puberty sort of coming of age thing that you see somewhat in Carrie, I guess. Um, where a sexual awakening almost, or at that particular point in your life, even in that dopey Superman movie we just saw, that, you know, he starts to, or I, I guess the one I saw before that, the Man of Steel one, um, he starts to get his powers when he, or really come into his powers as he gets to that age that, um, that Caleb is at. And so Thomason is, is getting to that age of sexual awakening, which I mean, Tom put it 
more about sexuality than sex, um, which I think is an interesting distinction and an important distinction to make. Well, interestingly, though, when Satan appears to her, he doesn't appeal to her with sex. He appeals to her with uh, a non-austere lifestyle. Do you want delicious food? Do you want to see the world? Uh, Yes, opening the world to her. Yeah, it's not, hey, would you like to have sex with a teen heartthrob? It's not like, hey, Justin Bieber will totally date you. Like, that's not part of, that's not one of the rewards he's promising. What she wants is, is just a, a lifestyle that, that's, that's more comfortable, that doesn't involve this sort of privation and, and, and this rigorous faith. Uh, that that's secretly what she wants. He offers it to her. Um, I'm curious, did Kate Dickey sign the book? Cause she has the same vision where, Caleb and Sam appear to her. Uh, her cup mm. is on the on the shelf in the background. I love that touch. Uh, and then the mm-hmm. and and then I think you don't hear the voice. She's re- responding to it. Uh, she says, "Yes, I'll look at your book with you." Uh, she obviously. I don't. I I think she says, "No, I won't sign the book." Because otherwise, wouldn't she have gone naked into the woods and joined the coven? I don't know the answer to this. Well, we don't see her sign it, right? And we don't see her ask to sign it. She is asked to sign it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's placed before her, isn't it? Yeah, but we don't we don't know whether or not she signs it. I'm just wondering if she did I- sign it. It was a really bad deal for her. I well, I think it generally is. <laughs> no, for uh, Thomason, it was awesome. Well, we'll see what she's imagining. Like the the baby suckling at her breast is an actual crow. You know, um, she's yeah, leading. Thomas- so what? Yeah, but what is Thomason actually in no, for? I think, Tom, I think I think the mom didn't sign the book, and her punishment is is well. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dispense with you, like you you will get killed. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking too is that Thomason ultimately was the one who wasn't strong enough to not sign the book. Uh, uh, okay. We don't know what the deal is, and in a way, I'm glad we don't know what the deal is with those twins. Like I, I was watching yeah. this, I was like, oh my god, are we gonna see all these cute little monkeys killed? No. Aren't they dead? That was, I'm pretty sure they're dead. I don't think. I thought that we saw their bodies at least in at least no. hidden in when when he when he looks in the barn. If so, I missed that because we saw the goats being slaughtered that the old witch ate. But I don't, I don't think we ever see. Although you might be right. Maybe I missed it, Dingus. I, I, I just thought I saw like they're not explicit, but I just thought that that's why he's in such despair at that moment. No, I think it's because they're well. He's because the goats have been killed. Well, he's no. I'm assuming he knows that his, his he knows they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Because she comes uh, out alone. Yeah, and and by, by the way, I think he also knows then. Oh, well, she's the witch. She obviously did all this. Right, right. She also she, ate my youngest children. Yeah. So is it a slow? Um, I, I'm you know forgive me for asking this. Is it a slow progression of uh of corruption for Thomason? Has she? been corrupt was she corrupted earlier or is it only in that last moment when black philip comes to her that she actually succumbs right i don't i don't i think it's that last moment and by the way i don't yeah. think that was black philip like i think that was satan black philip is the goat i think it's a, the the black personification of him it's i think they're the right but black philip is thing. a goat you see a dude walking behind her and putting his hand on her shoulder like i, yeah. I think he's that's talking to black philip no but i think that, right he's talking through black philip but i think at that point the manager basically comes in. Black Philip was just uh, – he was just a guy working the sales floor. This is the manager coming out. <laughs> I think he just transforms and yeah, I think walks around her. 
Dingus, there's no such thing as a were goat. What's the matter with you? What? <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. And I love, by the way, how ambiguous it is. Like, because I was that amazing voice. By the way, I was worried that we were going to swing around and get a reverse shot of the goat with that voice, which might have destroyed the illusion. I did not. Yeah. Like, maybe we did not want to play like a, moment. Yeah, we didn't want like a snow dogs where they you've got the CG mouth of the goat moving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that sort of stuff was just masterful, uh, and and just that voice and and the edits, by the way, like when she says, "I don't know how to write," and he says, "I will guide thy hand." Before he even finishes that last scene, that last syllable of hand, Eggers cuts to the scene of her walking in the woods. Like some of the, they weren't jump scares, but some of the cuts were just so disarmingly abrupt. Uh, like there are times where. Uh, Ralph Innocent is swinging an axe down, and right before it connects with the wood, edit out. And that's like so unexpected. You know, mm-hmm. you edit out with the wood breaking. You yeah. don't edit out and deprive the audience because mentally you're thinking, okay, I'm going to hear the sound. Yeah. And when you edit and deprive the audience of that expected sound, it's really unnerving. Uh, and I love how much he does that. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's a good point. He also, so for instance, I see so many crappy horror movies that are shot in the woods. Because it's the easiest thing to do. Just drive out off the interstate somewhere, pull down a dirt road, there, shoot your horror movie there. Uh, and, and there's there's no there's so few good ways to shoot horror movies in woods. Uh, here, so mainly he does it with like great lighting, but showing Caleb getting lost in the woods, he does in two shots, and I think they're both brilliant for how they work kind of at, at odds to create the same idea. The first shot, it's a long shot of Caleb in the background moving away from the camera and as Caleb moves away the camera zooms out to make it look like the woods are expanding around him and he's getting smaller and receding into the background the very next shot is a really tight shot of Caleb struggling through branches all around him so you simultaneously get this idea of the woods opening up and swallowing him up and in the next shot closing in on him and entangling him up like a like a web almost those two shots right there to establish hey these woods are scary and creepy and you get lost in them like that any other horror movie would just have 20 minutes of dudes running around the woods in these two <laughs> awesome shots eggers just did a beautiful idea of you know, you know he re he restored horror to outdoor woods scenes i, I thought uh, what do you think of the um is there was there a moment that you can point to because there is one for me um, where you knew that this was going to be great um, and is it dialogue based because I really want to talk a little bit about the way this movie is written specifically the dialogue is written I don't I don't like it sort of won me over real quickly like where did I yeah I, was, and all the dialogue good I thought I just yeah there was never yeah, I don't think I was ever skeptical of this. Like, early on from the get-go, I'm trying to think what you might be thinking of, though, Dingus. That first scene was kind of like, there will be blood. It reminded me of that yeah. thing. Wait, well, there's a there's a there's a, the music cue when they go out in the wilderness and they're they're singing, but as they recede in the distance and they're singing, it's quieter. There's that cacophonous like shrieking going on that's building mm. up around them, uh, and yeah, that's very much like there will be blood. Uh, so, Dingus, I, I, I want to mention this to you, and, and then I want to hear where uh, you got won over by the dialogue. Uh, a friend of ours who we know, who's also a very good writer, uh, sent me a little derisive email saying, yeah, I liked The Witch, but I don't think they know what travail means. Because <laughs> one of the first lines is, uh, 
uh, William saying to the, the council, the Commonwealth people before him, we have travailed a vast ocean. And travail means work to do like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I think the language in this is archaic enough that I get the sense that travail and, – and Eggers says in a little title card that they, they took dialogue from primary sources. Um, yeah. I think travail can mean to assay or attempt or – It's a double meaning. Work it's a great one. I, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if it's actually from a primary source is that people said that they travailed the ocean back then. Yeah. So our friend made fun of that, and that that was basically my response to him. But uh, so we're making fun of the friend, though. Yeah, we're making, his name is Tony. Everybody uh, make fun of. Point at Tony next time you see him and laugh at him. I love that line. <laughs> I can't believe it's uh, funny. I I I heard that as he, we traveled a vast ocean for what? I mean, that, I, I didn't hear the travail. I no, heard it's, we, it's, yeah, it's definitely right. travail. Because when I went to see it a second time, I wanted to make sure that Tony knew what he was talking about. And yeah, right. it works it better was, that way. Well, I have no problem with that because you can imagine the hardship of crossing an ocean for them having problem. I don't know who. What, what are their sailing credentials? You have to work. <laughs> you have to work the ocean yeah, to get across. It, it doesn't just happen. It's not. I, I think Dingus is telling that they're not fishermen; that they are farmers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so Dingus, when? Uh, go ahead, Kelly one. Well, just knowing how the word travail is spelled, I would I would almost be be almost certain that it's got to be a deliberate choice because you can't misspell travel in the script, and everybody knows how to say it, so it's got to have been like well, like written that way. Okay, but you know, they it takes a little while for your ear to tune to this movie. It definitely does, which is again something yeah. I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Dingus, it takes a little while for your ear to tune. You said there's there's one point where you uh, really were convinced you were in good hands. What what was that? Um, it's right at the beginning. Um, I've already been introduced to um, Ralph Edison's voice, and I'm already intrigued. Uh, and, the, and the fact that the way that that whole opening scene is shot, you don't really get a clear view of him right away. You just hear this vo- this gravelly voice coming out, this great bass. Um, but the moment for me is is the pronunciation of the word banished as banish it. Um, when... When I guess one of the dudes says, "Then you shall be banished from this plantation's liberties." Are you a big Romeo and Juliet fan? I'm a huge. I'm not really that big of. A, I mean, I oh think my god, you started! I told no, I totally fucked you. You, you tried to catch yourself before you admitted you were a huge Romeo and Juliet fan. Oops. You started well, to say that in romantic comedy. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> um, but I love that the the way that that word works. Um, Banished, um, and the moment that he said it like that, uh, I went, "Oh, okay. I think I'm in pretty good hands as far as this writer is concerned." And it continued to do that for me. There's this, wow, this is wonderful, wonderful line. I'm, let me think if I can remember it. Um, it it's something like uh, it's William saying to Ka- to Catherine, uh, "Well, you will be there by candle time tomorrow." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Candle time. It, it's it's just. I don't even know if that's a, a, a saying. I've never heard that. Yeah. Remember when uh, Jane got a gun? Tried to do that. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, what was the terrible line? Oh my god. Remember when Jane got a gun? I'll be in the bone orchard before this happens. Uh, the bone orchard. Very good. Time. The bone orchard. No, but the, but having that banished and things like by candle time. Oh my gosh. I I. I I revel in language like that. It makes me. It makes me under. It makes me remember the things that I loved about Bone Tomahawk. How 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 meaty that language is. How how much those characters. How much those actors have to work. Must have had to work to make that work. And and how well it works. Having come recently 
or however recently, from England to New England and understanding why it's called New England and the way they talk and in the biblical way they talk. I'm so crazy about the dialogue in this movie and yeah. the way that, that Eggert shapes it. I'm glad you brought up Bone Tomahawk because Bone Tomahawk is a great comparison. But in Bone Tomahawk, there's, there's I think, a poetry that anybody could understand. One right. of the things I love about this movie is it – the, the syntax is just so lovingly alien to our modern ears. Yeah. Uh, and that just works wonders with the costumes and the, their beliefs at creating a sense of place. I mean, the world building in this movie is just phenomenal. And how they talk consistently throughout the movie is a big part of that. And it's a joy to listen to. It was a joy to see it a second time, by the way, and to be able to have a clearer sense of what was being said. And Because the first time, there, I'm sure there were a lot of lines that I missed and wasn't quite quite clear on what was said. Um, but, uh, yeah, just fantastic to hear. Uh, Kelly Wan, I'm sorry to bring this up because I know uh, how you had to see this. But what – uh, and there are very few movies that, about which I feel this is true. What a fantastic theater experience. Oh. Um, it is amazing – uh, during some of the moments where, like, like when uh, Harvey Scrimshaw, when Caleb dies, you can hear a pin drop in the theater, and there are large moments where there's no sound too. Uh, nobody's like shifting in their seat. Nobody's like eating their popcorn or whatever. I just love being in a room with a bunch of people and how completely still they are during some of this movie. Uh, just, it's just, fun. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I just, you know, they're just paying rapt attention to it. Uh, I, I love that in a movie. It's funny that you said that because the the couple behind us, the guy behind us, was eating so loudly at the beginning. Uh, I almost <laughs> wanted to smack the guy. Uh, he was, he like had a box of juji fruits or something, and he was like shaking it, like like you yes, have to shake them to, to mix them. But by that point, you're absolutely right. The moment after that, this great thing happened. And I heard it whispered behind me, and it was a couple. One of them said, he's dead. And the other one went, I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, I miss America again. Fuck. You guys keep doing that. We did get – I guess it was that couple thing. is the shot of Kate Dickey's breast being pecked at by the, the crow. There was somebody – I think it was a woman who went, ew. <laughs> it was definitely an outbreak at that point. Uh, I think it's this guy it, went, is that room temperature? Is it a liquid? <laughs> But it is such a great – it was such a great experience um, just being in in the theater and, and and you know, not being able I, – I don't I, I don't hide my face like Robert Barry Cruz was saying. I, I can't do that. I have to stare at it um, to find out what's going to happen next, and I don't want to miss a moment of the movie. But I was so tense. I was to, uh, so – I mean, especially at the parts that, that bothered me so much or that, that were so hard to watch for me. But you you can't look away. I mean that that opening part with the with the baby where the witch is addressing the baby and you you see that shot over the from the head of the baby down the baby's body. You can kind of see his penis there or what you think is that. And I'm wondering is there going to be something weird that she's going to try to do some scary witch sex with him? And then you move on to that next scene and you're like, oh my god, there were things I couldn't. I didn't want to watch, but I couldn't look away from it. And, and, see, and doing that in the theater where you can't pause it, you don't have any chance to pause it, and there's no excuse to pause it, um, was a fantastic experience. I'm so glad you got us to do this. And, and you can't have the lights on in your house, and you can't yeah, like go check your email real quick or open mm-hmm. up your cell phone. Like, uh, uh, I, I, like, I was telling Dingus, I 
when when I see somebody open a cell phone, like if they just check it, like to check the time and put it back and don't do it again, that's fine. I won't say anything. But if I see someone opening his phone and looking at it, maybe scrolling through messages, I'll go up and I'll say, excuse me, sir or ma'am, that's really distracting. <laughs> Could you please check that after the movie? Uh, so in this movie, a guy did it uh, early on. He had his cell phone out. He wasn't putting it back. So I got up and went up to him. And wow. this I've, – I've done this plenty of times. This guy – was the most deferential I've ever seen anyone in that situation. <laughs> the moment he saw me out of the corner of his eye, you know, I was beginning to say, excuse me, sir, before I even got three syllables out, he was like uh, going, yeah, oh, okay, sorry, 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 and then putting his phone up. Uh, and I don't know if that was like because the movie was just so interesting to him, but he, he had no problem putting his phone away. That was the easiest it was ever been for me. <laughs> I think he was just scared of you. <laughs> Could be. I'm, per, I'm pretty scary looking, Kelly. He's Lott. imposing. That's true. <laughs> Chris Markinson actually said uh, the, the Rinky Dink Theater he went to, uh, at least there were, there were at least three kids under 10 that their parents had brought to this movie. What? And he just laments how awful some parents are. Oh, oh no, my God. Worse. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Unsurprising. That is utterly uh, devastating to me. I'm laughing about it now because uh, it's absurd. But I, I cannot imagine bringing a kid under 10 or over 10. My, my kid's 11. I, there's no way he's going to see this movie. I don't think he'd ever want to. Um, no. You know, maybe when he's an adult, he'll you know he'll find it because I think it'll be something that'll be in my collection. He'll but hate it. Imagine bringing a child to this movie. I, I say you say that Dennis. imagine many people. I mean, I'm not surprised it gets a C minus cinema score. Uh, uh, right. Like, the, like what people expect from horror movies is that Blumhouse crap that that yeah. is put out. That's everybody's conception of a, a successful horror movie. That's what they expect when they go see these things. This is an art house horror movie. Um, yeah, they thought they were taking their kids to a nice, cool slasher. <laughs> right. is, it, is it Halloween yet? <laughs> right, right. What does Jesus. Blumhouse crap mean? I they thought it was Halloween three. Uh, this fellow named Jason Blum who runs a production studio, distribution studio called Blum House, and he does all of the like, uh, like this. Not, did he do the Saw movies? But he does like Insidious and Perfidious and Sinister and all of those kind of things. Minister. There's one called Perfidious. Con- Conjuring. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So so Blum House is that school of super low budget, market the heck out of it. Uh, profit and they do very well, oh, right. um, but it's 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 cookie cutter horror movie making. All right, um, somebody's always going to crawl in the ceiling, that kind of thing. Right, right, exactly. Tingus, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, just really be, while we uh, I mentioned Jane got a gun earlier. One of the things I noticed early on in Jane got a gun, uh, it opens with Natalie Portman in bed reading a bedtime story to her daughter. Oh no, no, they're uh, they're She's doing, making it up. They're doing right. They're doing uh, uh, puppet shadow puppets with, with her yeah. hands, and the first thing I notice. Uh, she her hands are man are, are immaculately like manicured, like her nails are beautiful. And I'm like, no, that's not a frontier woman. That's not what should happen. I I just was so grateful to Robert Eggers and the witch when at one point Kate Dickey raises her hands to Caleb's face, and her fingernails are filthy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yes, beautiful. Somebody knows to put the dirt under the fingernails. That's frontier life. Right. Well done. Yeah, I just love that kind of detail. Uh, and that, that, that you know, the, the witch is full of that, by the way, that attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Kelly, when you always get. Oh, I get distracted by uh, good teeth in movies. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, especially like period movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, Batman, if he wants to have super white teeth under his cowl, 
that's fine. He's he's maybe using some sort of tooth whitener product, but he exposes them for yeah. fist fights. The That's sun. part of his body armor. Yeah, <laughs> you can only hit my teeth. Uh, I love any movie that can make a rabbit look creepy. Yeah, Black that, Rabbit. That rabbit was so awesome. I know that Black Phillip is the one everybody loves, but I was so into that rabbit. That rabbit was awesome. I, I loved the dog. What was oh, Fowler. Yeah, Fowler. Yeah, Fowler. What a cool name. Poor Fowler. Uh, he was awesome. But yeah, you know, even the dog's not safe, Dingus. Uh, my favorite uh, so, yeah, my, my favorite living uh, movie reviewer is a woman named Manola Dargis who writes for the New York Times. She uh, describes – she says the witch has a, quote, progressively rowdy menagerie, <laughs> which I thought was a great observation. Uh, that, that seems, so we've talked before about the, the dog in The Thing. And there's this great moment where it walks up to a door and looks in the door, and there's a shadow on the wall of somebody turning to look at the dog, and the dog seems to pause, and then it walks in, and that dog has such an expressive face. Uh, uh, I got the same sort of vibe when uh, Anna Taylor-Joy is coming out of the house, and Black Phillip is waiting for her there in front of that little barn where she's going to meet Satan, or Black Phillip is going to manifest himself. And the goat's just standing there, and she stops in front of it. The goat regards her for a minute and then turns around and goes into the barn. Uh, like I just love that little goat acting moment. <laughs> okay. What? That should have been part of Kelly's rating yeah. system. Goat act, Some goat acting. Yeah, that goat was great. I preferred the other goat. What other goat? Oh, the ones that got killed? Yeah. The one that uh, bled milk. Oh. He said the, did you say the udder goat? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tom didn't get it, notice, either. Yeah. I thought you said other He goat. thought, wait, there was only one goat. So my over and under do not have anything to do with horror movies. Uh, if yours do, Kelly, you should probably go first. Because Tom's already Is given us a listener over under. thoughts on The Witch? Any yes. other listener thoughts on the witch? I read some from Stuart Grant, Robert Perry Cruz, and Chris Markinson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Robert Perry Cruz also said that um, while the movie was, he, I think he says, shot in uh, Canada, it does very well by um, Massachusetts because he's from that area. Uh, and it, in fact, at the beginning when they're banished, um, he said that where that takes place is a place called the um, the Plymouth Plantation Living Museum. And he's been there many times, and so he was sort of taken out of it for a moment because he recognized it, which I guess would be analogous to me seeing a movie taking place in Williamsburg, um, Virginia, uh, because uh, Robert Perry Cruz also said when when they look back and you see a couple of the Native Americans oh, I love walking, he noticed somebody walking by who is a worker that he'd seen there before. <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shot, though. They've got the, like, conquistador guys manning the gates, and then the American mm-hmm. Indians go in. Yeah, I love that. Uh, um, the uh, I also like that, even though it was shot in Canada, fair enough, um, it's such a quintessentially American wilderness horror story, and it reminds yeah. me of something. Um, like, th- this is – you could have scary movies in the woods in Bavaria or whatever – Kelly Wan recently gave me an awesome book about uh, a horned goat god in the woods in, in Sweden. Wasn't that Sweden, Kelly Wan, in the ritual? Sweden, oh, Norway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this this is just so distinctly American because they're Puritans. This idea of, you know, we all have a frame of reference for the the hardships that pilgrims suffered and the Indians came and helped them. And, you know, these are the people who didn't get the benefit of, of that 
that benign assistance. Um, but it reminds me in a way that this particular wilderness horror, it, it seems to almost be poking fun at the folly of things like Manifest Destiny and, and the – the progress of the industrial area and and even American exceptionalism, you know, this idea that there are things about America that no other country enjoyed. Uh, and as such, it reminds me of – and Kelly Wand – actually, oh, you know this story, Dingus. There's, uh, there's a writer named Laird Barron who – I adore this fella. In his third collection of books, he has a story called The Men from Porlock. Which is also, I know this. Of course, I know this story. I read right. it to you. You read it to me, and I think Kelly Wan's the one that recommended it. So this has come from both of you, and it's, yeah, um, the men from Porlock is to me a similar thing about a very American encounter in the wilderness with horrific evil forces, uh, and uh, so so uh, the witch reminds me of the men from Porlock in how it's distinctly American in, in its horror and a period piece. Very much a period piece, yeah, yeah. That's a really uh, great connection. Yeah, Men, Men from Porlock. I, I, reading Laird Barron's Men from Porlock, reading a lot of Laird Barron, but I consider him as the Cormac McCarthy of, of horror. Yes, uh, you just you yes. can't you can't look away from what he does with words. The man, the man is ingenious, um, and he's a super but, nice guy. That really clicks nicely. Yeah, I like that. He needs to write more. It's been a while since that last collection. Since uh, so he's, was he's busy tweeting to Tom. <laughs> he just did a James Bond story, Kelly Wand. He tweeted you? Laird Barron did? Uh, he did, yes, but I'm not going to name drop on this podcast. It's... No, I did that for you. By the way, this is after I'd said things like this. I'm not saying things about like this about him because he tweeted me once. Like I'd been saying things like about, no. about him before he tweeted me. Right, right. I got you into him, so I tweeted did. you. Yeah. <laughs> And Thomas Ligotti. I mean, Kelly Wand. All of my uh, all of my significant horror reading comes from you. We're all coming up on the three by three. There's another. Well, before we get to that, okay. So who hasn't done their under over? Dingus. Uh, wait, Kelly Wand. You were going to go. What What are your unders? What's your under and over for the witch? They're not horror movies. Oh, you're stealing Dingus's conceit. Interesting. Nice. I like this. Okay, my system for uh, ranking the over was a. A thing that's not for dingus. <laughs> but also something about the witch and maybe um, this is – I didn't it, – it, it feels – it falls into a genre of movies that I think are – would I'd call – you don't know what kind of movie it is till afterwards. Like I sort of had to let the witch digest before I – and then I went, oh, wait, it's the best movie I've seen. And so it was like the last one that felt like that that I would put over the witch – by like a hair. Mm-hmm. I like Kelly's bracketing. He rarely does that thing. Wow. I'm, so, I'm so proud of you, Kelly Wand. It's tough to bracket the good movies. It's really tough. I find it tougher so. to bracket the bad ones. Yeah, me too. I have, I have really? an impossible time with the bad movies. Cause, I mean, because what's better than The Witch? The Exorcist? The Exorcist is better than The Witch? I would say so. I mean, is I love though? both. Yeah, yeah, I do think so. The Exorcist is pretty amazing. Like, when's the last time you saw it? Mm, I see Exorcist three like every couple of years. The Exorcist is, I think, one of the. That's my there, there are maybe three or four of these, like the quintessential expressions of what made seventies cinema special. Yeah, The Exorcist and Jaws. Sure. Right? Actually, Jaws not quite. Jaws is almost a precursor to like eighties blockbusters. But yeah. The Exorcist is so seventies cinema. I mean, it's just Friedkin at, at the top of his game. Yeah, it's the rich man's omen. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Beginning. Uh, so okay, so you uh, the last time you saw you're, you're bracketing it closely to the witch. What what do you have for your over? 
So my over as a you don't know what kind of movie it is till afterwards at a dot for Dingus is uh, Martyrs. Yep. <laughs> um, and a similar wrap up. A little bit, maybe a little bit. Sorry. Well, I suggest you see the American remake before you uh, commit to that judgment. <laughs> Why in the fuck would I see an American remake of anything? <laughs> when has that ever worked out for anyone? Ever. La Caja Full. Like, the American like, with Robin Williams but, is way better. Mm, good point. I just made that up. The Birdcage, you mean? Oh my god, you're right. They even gave it a new yeah. name. <laughs> they yeah, they've got that name. Yeah. We don't want to make this off-putting. We want straight people to go. So we'll call it the birdcage to get the soccer moms interested. The ones who drag 10-year-olds to the witch. Oh, I can't believe that. All right, so Martyrs is your over. and you. Got, so, oh, actually, seriously, you liked Martyrs better than the witch. I don't know. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> just just wanted to get guns. If you do, you do. Jeez. I don't know that I do, though. I I guess really the thing is, I don't think he does. Uh, he's just trying to think of a good one that he didn't. I love them both. It's, I, I don't. I am not. I don't. Ranking's tough for me. Girls, you're both pretty. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, what's your under? What's a movie that's not as pretty as Martyrs or The Witch? Twins Less are... pretty than Martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the twins from The Witch? Yeah. Is that what you're talking Twins are both creepy. What were their names, uh, by the way? Mercy and who was the other one? Jason Jonah. Connor. Jonah. Uh, Jonah. Yes. Jonas. Jonas. Like the Jonas twins. Okay. Jonas and Project. Oh, you had to make it gross. I don't even know who the Jonas twins are, but Jonas they're, and they're Mer- brothers. Jonas brothers. There's was it, like five. There's three of them. Was it Mercy or Mercer? I thought it was Mercy. Okay. They had accents. It's hard to tell. All right. So Kelly Wan, <laughs> Martyrs. Maybe not. Maybe you don't like it more than the Witch, but at least. Probably as much as the witch. What's something that's not as good as the witch? The rapture that David Duchovny. Wow, David Duchovny is that's how you characterize it. And Mimi Rogers is in there. Rogers is in there. Yeah. So that's that's a Mimi Rogers movie to you. Yeah. It's not a Peter Tolkien movie. Who the fuck's the? Isn't it Peter R. R. Tolkien? James Tolkien, isn't it? Oh, uh, James Tolkien is an actor who was in uh, Bone Tomahawk, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. And, I'm googling. And this. he was in JFK with Kevin Bacon. Michael Tolkien. Okay. Uh, I'm an idiot. So yeah, he wrote and directed The Rapture. Um, G.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, but yeah, the, the Rapture. Okay, so explain to us what The Rapture is and why it's not as good as The Witch. The Rapture is a movie about a lady going through a crisis of faith in reverse, but um, it's uh, it's like uh, similar to The Witch. It's a weird movie. I like I like the Rapture quite a bit. Um, well, we had an argument once because I go that ending. It's one. It, it's my usual. I think it's the argument we always have, where I think everything that happens in a movie actually is happening, and you go, no, the future. <laughs> in the Fountain the Conquistadors is the book only. <laughs> Wait, I'm pretty sure my opinion of the Rapture is that it actually does happen in the end. What you told me, she's nuts. Well, she's nuts, but I think it's also the rapture. Wait, you know, Wait, I need to see it. That's what I said, and you did, you laughed at me, and I okay. thought it was a podcast. Maybe, like, no, that's been, no, there's no rapture. I think I'm remembering then what your belief was, and I've sort of uh, I've sort of assimilated it. I need to see it again and decide. But she is crazy. I mean, I think it's a movie about a woman who's gone insane. Yeah, but then suddenly she reaches critical mass in jail. You in know what? That's what it is. Yeah, she, there's no rapture. She does go insane. Dingus, have you seen The Rapture? Tell me if this woman's insane or not, or if Tom's yes. insane. Yes, I've what? seen The Rapture, but I don't remember. 
I was I, I was watching it at a time when I was hoping to see some nudity. Oh, there's a little nudity in it. Thing is, I understand there's nudity in the Witches of Breastwick. You might give that a shot. Definitely will. Uh, the Rapture, Kelly. One, here's, my, here's my problem with the. Here's my problem with the rap. You have a porn cue. Here's my problem with the Rapture, Kelly Wand. It's shaped like that. There's a point where she is, uh, like, she's with her daughter and they're hungry. She doesn't have any money. She needs to feed her daughter, so she goes to the drive-through, and she orders like burgers and stuff that they can eat. And she pulls up, and the people give her the food, and then say that'll be you know fifteen twenty. And she kind of looks at the woman asking for the money with this like plea to be sympathetic as she then drives away, not paying for the food. Okay. Anybody who's ever driven through a drive through <laughs> knows they don't give you the food until you yeah. give the money. Yeah. That's so true. The, the rapture loses all credibility at that point. That's mm. the Terminator lens flare moment of the rapture. What's the Terminator lens flare moment? When you can see the lights or the camera or something and the cops sun and the cops non sunglasses before Arnold uh, runs him over in the police oh. station. I like to think of it more as the break moment from the uh McGee Terminator movie. I like to think of it more as why <laughs> Lethal Weapon Two is a much better movie than The Rapture. Dingus is finally coming hey, Fuck you with the drive through. Yeah. See? Alright, so Dingus, what are your overs and unders for the witch? All right, my overs and unders are more uh, based on um, the sense the movie gave me of of place and of feel and of uh, of time period, um, especially with how this movie is shot and and with with the sound design. I think the sound design of this movie is yeah. freaking incredible. Um, and the weird thing is that. Uh, I saw the name. I thought I saw the name of the sound designer uh, as we were watching the credits, because you know I can't help but watch the credits in the hope that Mjolnir is going to show up in the end. Um, but it looked like somebody's name. The, the name was Tyson Day or something, but I couldn't find that person's name anywhere. Instead, um, the the sound design is attributed to somebody named Adam Stein. Um, and I'm crazy about the sound design of this, but but you know even even more of that. I think the music in this movie adds so much. And that thing that you were talking about earlier, Tom, where you linked it to what Kelly said about there will be blood, that weird uh, wailing and and the, and the strange like feeling of of, uh, of of a stringed instrument being scratched upon. Music is by somebody named uh, Mark Corvin, who uh, who did music for the movie Cube, um, and it it's just so evocative to me. Um, and it adds to the setting and the religiosity. I don't know if that's the right word. Spirituality, maybe. I don't know. Um, of of Meek's cutoff. Um, as I was watching this, I could not help but think about Meek's cutoff and and the the way those settlers are in such dire straits and um, completely isolated. And when you were talking about uh, the movie, you were talking about Tom with um, uh, being in the wilderness and. Um, being confronted by Native Americans and whether or not they're going to be helpful or not. I forget what movie you were talking about. Oh, uh, you mean the, like the, the pilgrims? Like uh, the, the Puritans from the you, Mayflower? Yeah, but you, but you were talking about some movie that that was talking about like forest horror or wilderness horror. Um, and I don't think of Meek's Cutoff as a horror movie. Um, but what they're going, for, going through is um, terrifying. And I remember seeing Meek's Cutoff and being... Uh, exhausted by it because I was so tense 
with how are they going to survive? How are they going to live through this ordeal? How are they going to make it through? And even a little bit, um, oh my goodness, what's her name? Um, right Anya Taylor Joy oh. um, reminded me somewhat of Michelle Williams. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Meek's Cutoff is is I, I love that movie more than I love this movie, but slightly more. You know what I I think is your uh, your fondness for Meek's Cutoff rings a little hollow considering you haven't seen Night Moves, Kelly Reichardt's last movie. <laughs> I really feel like if you liked Meek's Cutoff, you would have kept up with what Kelly Reichardt has been doing. It really does take away from my uh, my praise of Meek's Cutoff. Yeah, yeah, it does. All right, and then your uh, your under is I'm going to guess what Age of Innocence. No, my under is White Ribbon. Um, I don't <laughs> quite remember what my take. I remember seeing it. I remember in the theater we went to see it in. I remember how washed out and weird it looked. Um, of course, it's hard to determine language because it was in a different language. Um, but the way the, the village is set up and how strange and scary it feels um, and how much in danger the children are um, – uh, it's not as closely bracketed as Meek's Cutoff, but I would put White Ribbon just uh, a little bit under um, uh, The Witch. You're in good company because Manola Dargis' review also mentions White Ribbon. In, in oh, it does? Really? The Witch. You bet. Oh, yeah. She definitely oh, I thought I was much like Michael Haneke's. Nope, nope. She invokes it and uh, draws clear parallels with uh, the idea of specifically the Commonwealth that they get uh, out ejected from mm-hmm. uh, and what it has to say about – uh, societies and towns and patriarchies, uh, and, sin, that, Irvy, and the, the sins of fathers being visited on the sons. Uh, Kelly, one, your review had heart, uh, and I, I feel that if you ever figure out the rapture and come around to my uh, perspective on it, maybe we can give you uh, a B minus cinema score. Black Phillip sung like a yak. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, now three, getting down with three to eat, everybody loves open. <laughs> uh, why didn't the rabbit, why didn't the, how come the rabbit didn't get a name? We should give it a name. Kelly Wan, what, what should the rabbit's name be? Uh... Black Cottontail. Do you know what Brown Jensen is? Uh. Uh, yeah, the Lovecraftian... No, Brown Jenkins, fool. That's how oh, you're right. Wait, no. Uh-huh. Nope. Jensen? Yep. Wait. Okay. Here say, what, say what you said again, Brown Jensen. <laughs> no, I said Brown Jenkins. Right. Jensen, wait. That's wrong, too. <laughs> Jenkins. But what is happening Jenkins, right now? What is, what's going on? So there's a there's a rat with a human face that's in the the H.P. Lovecraft story Rats in the Walls uh, yeah, named course. Brown Jenkins Jensen Brown Jensen. It's or, not Rats in the Wall. It's Dreams in the Witch House, isn't it? Oh oh, shoot a monkey! Yeah, Kelly, you got me twice there. Man, what sure about flowers in the attic? Say, uh, brother, see what we're doing. Don't even try to play in this level. You're is just that went under the dumpster? <laughs> What a noob! But yeah, uh, that not that, caring about cool things. What a maroon, Jensen. What an ignoramus. That rabbit's name should be Brown Jenkins. Brown Jensen's. Wait, tell me, just so I don't make a fool of myself at a party again. What's it called? What's it? <laughs> That's the party you go to. Hey guys, <laughs> Brown Jensen. <laughs> oh, thank God, Tom's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to know. I want to come in with a bang by announcing the name of the little brown. Human. You can dress as Cthulhu for the party. 
Just so now he says it. I know. <laughs> as long as I'm with Bingus, I'll look pretty hip. Bulls. <laughs> what was your... You wanted to know what it's called again? You already forgot. Brown season. Jenkins, right? Yeah. Like Richard Jenkins. Brown Jenkins. Okay. There was that horror anthology series on Showtime called Masters of Horror, I think, and they adapted it, and it was like the worst one. There was like yeah. a CG Brown Jenkins. I think it, it, w- it might have even been like Stuart Gordon doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but he did a really cool one of The Raven. And I think that's just yeah. Jeffrey Combs has done a one-man show where he's Edgar Allan Poe. I think that's all on Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. I would say. That show mostly sucked. I just oh, wanted God, to say how bad Brown Jenkins in particular was. Like, that was the low point of that show. Well, speaking of things that yeah, Whatever, suck, nerds. Kelly Wand. They suck? What? Well, quicksand. Is that too uh, much? All right. Yeah. Kelly Wand, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? This week's 3x3 three three is based on another horror novel that I sent you, Tom, called The Elementals, which was... Okay, put this well, don't, spoil, don't spoil things about it for me. Oh, okay, forget I said that. Though. Okay. Um, but yeah, sand. It's the three best uses of sand in a movie. So now I know there's sand in the elementals. Hmm. It's. Uh, I, I don't even say anything. Stop right there. Don't even say anything. Michael McDowell. Uh, from the, the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> no. Uh, the guy from Clockwork Orange. <laughs> That is- so my I- list is terrible, by the way. What was terrible? Your list, your your list for your own three by three is terrible. Yeah, you guys are gonna have to save me for myself, as usual. Well, and you those- are you are gonna be the three by three cops, so you might yeah. have to turn yourself in. I turned myself in right away, just looking at the list. This is terrible. This wow, is one of the worst lists. But I feel you can kind of suck at your own topics. It's like the person who came up with the topics, you. So you're only letting yourself down, and you guys and the uh, list. You're, you're letting yourself. So- yeah. You have to excel at your own topic. Really? Yeah, shit. You would think, right, because oh. there's a reason you came up with it is because you had some great ideas for it. All right, I'll try and think up some brain scans between now and... Uh... Well, I'll be going first because I'm introducing next week's 3 by 3 So my number three favorite use of sand is uh, it features Ted Danson, a woman <laughs> named Galen Ross, who plays the chick in uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, this is a great one. All right, and- so my number one. A gentleman, you know, you can't steal it, and a gentleman, and a gentleman named Leslie Nielsen. So this opens with uh, Ted Danson just lounging about in his cool bachelor pad in his robe. He's obviously a man of leisure. There's a knock at his door, and it's Leslie Nielsen, and Leslie Nielsen is really mad at him. There's something going on. It turns out that Ted Danson has been fooling around with Leslie Nielsen's wife, and Leslie Nielsen, he's on to him. So Ted Danson is like, well, okay, what do you want? You oh, this is a good one. Okay, now I'm with you. And Leslie Nielsen is like, well, let me play this for you. And he plays a tape. And the tape is – her name's Rebecca. It's Leslie Nielsen's wife, the woman who Ted Danson's in love with. And she's like, oh, come save me. He's got me at this place. And I, oh, God, come save me. And then it cuts off. And Leslie Nielsen is like, okay, come with me if you want to see her again. And he drives him out to the beach up to a hole dug in the sand. And he says, okay, Ted Danson, kneel in that hole or I'm going to shoot you with this gun. Ted Danson's like, no way, I'm not going to do it. Leslie Nielsen says, look, I'm just doing this to incapacitate you. I just need you to not be able to attack me while I bring Rebecca out to show her to you. Ted Danson's like, okay. So he gets in the hole, kneels in. Uh, Leslie Nielsen's like, okay, now pull all the sand in after you. And so Ted Danson buries himself with Leslie Nielsen's help up to his neck in sand. 
And Leslie Nielsen then drives off. And he comes back with a TV connected by a long cable that goes up to his beach house because this is his property. And he sets up the TV, and he shows Ted Danson a picture of Rebecca buried the same way farther down the beach. But the tide is coming in where she is, and this the the surf is coming up and slowly drowning her. And Leslie Nielsen's all like, ha, 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 this is how I'm going to kill you guys. Uh, so Ted Danson is left watching this video of Rebecca getting drowned while the tide comes in on him. And this is one of the segments from uh, Creep Show, mm-hmm. the original anthology, which was uh, kind of based on comic books. That they were going for that feel. Uh, and I don't want to spoil it, but what happens is Ted Danson and Galen Ross die, and their, un- <laughs> their undead, waterlogged zombie bodies come back and take Leslie Nielsen and then bury him in the sand. And that's how it ends. Wait, and then he goes, I can hold my breath hold my for breath a long time. time. Yeah. And it's, there before, was... it's before Leslie Nielsen. Like, this is still the Forbidden Planet, Leslie Nielsen. It's like before you think of him as the airplane guy. No, it's not can't be before. It was right after Airplane. No, no way. It was. No, no there's it was, no way. It was before Nuts. No, nuts. get out of here. I'm going to look this up while you guys talk. I remember one of one of the actresses um, that Leslie Nielsen worked with, and I remember reading an interview with her. Uh, this is well after I had seen Airplane, and, and she was so upset with the way that um, his career had been derailed because uh, she thought of him as this brilliant, serious actor. And she said, and she basically said his career was ruined. He was ruined as an actor by these airplane uh, naked gun movies because nobody will take him seriously after that. And he was one of the most brilliant actors of his generation. Well, you guys are wrong. Creepshow was two years after Airplane, so I don't know what you guys were thinking. <laughs> this was before. All right, so that's my third favorite use of sand. It's Wait. just because it's kind of scary, like the idea of being buried up to your head yeah. in sand while the and surf comes in. Yeah, yeah, slowly. I mean, we all have that. That's like a trope from westerns, where like the the Indians bury a cowboy and they drizzle honey on his head, and the ants come onto your head. And your lover too. Yeah, exactly. So he gets to watch her. He gets to watch it happen to her, and then it's going to happen to him. Yeah. Uh, There was um there back in the day there used to be um TV specials where they'd show movie bloopers because there was so little going on in the world in our (laughs) lives back then that that was considered an event. Right. It was before television almost. And then um It was before airplane. Yeah, there's one where they showed a blooper from that from creep show where it's Ted Danson and the girls as water zombies and they're like shambling through Leslie Nielsen's living room. Right. And he's going, You can't kill us No, she goes, You can't kill us, we're already dead. You'll have to hold your breath. He's all and then she's all We're already dead and then he's all You said that <laughs> I remember being buried in the sand at the beach when I was a kid. <laughs> what did you do to? to That's his takeaway from everything that just. <laughs> that was fun. No, no, it wasn't fun. Actually, it was it was a horrifying experience because you know it, it was fun to an extent. My my, I was with my aunts and uncles at the beach, and um, uh, my aunt and uncle buried me like just lying down. You know, in that way that you like make a little pillow and then you for the kid's head, and then you bury their entire body in sand. 
and they had a um, a black lab who was playing around at the beach at the same time. And he came over and he was to- so totally curious about what is going on here. And and he was very excited. I like where this is going. I like he started going. to uh, to dig me out, and oh. my aunt and uncle were laughing. They thought it was so funny, and it was funny until his claws got to my chest, um, and he just kept digging. <laughs> And I got these long scratches down my chest as this little kid, and I'm kind of I'm screaming at them, and they're laughing, not realizing that this has turned into a horror movie for me. Um, so yeah, that was my experience being buried in. The they sand. laughed at your screams. Yes, I thought Dingus said the dog was gonna like that he was gonna on you. Ew! What? That he was gonna. And that's what you were excited about. I thought that would have been funny. That would have made a way funnier story. I advise you to rework it and incorporate that into it. All right. I one, yeah. Do you remember a movie called Motel Hell? Yeah. Where where the farmer kidnaps the people and then buries them up to their heads to like I don't, I don't know like crops. Well, no, he makes beef jerky out of them. Yeah, he has a little saying. Yeah, it's like, really like nothing says vittles like Ted Krusty's spittles. Or they're they're fritters, aren't they? Or, uh, fritters, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. But they so also it takes all up. kinds of no, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer John's fritters. It's something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. They're not dead too. That's the fun part. Is he's got their vocal cords, but so they make weird noises, but they're plant-like noises, so they writhe around. And and to to harvest them, he hooks their like he hooks a rope around their necks and then breaks it with a, a tractor. Like he pulls like it's like it's it's yeah. pulling crops out with a tractor. I'm still interested though. <laughs> Is Christopher Reeve in one of those creep show moments, like in some diner where he makes, like, chops people into, uh, into meat? It doesn't ring any bells. Definitely, she's a shady character. No, no, it's it's maybe it was one of the shows. Maybe it was (laughs) Death Trap. Jesus. Death Wish. Not catching me. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you're thinking of Soap Dish or Soap. It is funny watching Creep Show. Like, there's a in the very first segment, there's a very young uh, Ed Harris. Uh, being this super trendy, uh, like rich guy. In who's what like, part? Uh, he's one of the. Oh, guys, right, 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 right. The first one. Yeah, in Father's Day, lining up to get an inheritance. Yeah, yeah he's scared of that. Yeah, and of course, Hal Holbrook is in the one where uh, Adrian Barbeau is his shrewish wife, and he feeds her to the creature. I love that. Yeah, creepy. Yeah. And, and then the roaches, of course, goes without saying. Uh, with uh, not Eli Wallach. E. Marshall. E.G. Marshall. E.G. Marshall, right? Very good, Kelly Wand. It's such a great movie, and Creepshow Two is such a piece of shit. Yeah, there's a creep show three. I didn't even realize that. What? I know. Yeah. Is it Romero? Who no, no, no. Here? Romero had nothing to do with it. That's what the Wikipedia thing says. Is nobody who had anything to do with the previous creep shows was involved <laughs> Why, in creep show three. Creep show was such a. They could have just made a good one, another good one. Uh, Tom Savini has said that he considers the 1990 anthology Tales from the Dark Side that that is the true spiritual heir to Creep Show. He says. And the mo- the Tales from the Dark Side movie with Christian Slater. I actually haven't seen it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Deborah Harry's in it. I'm on board. I got to go watch it right now. You guys finish the podcast. Okay. I'm going to go find the Deborah Harry. To do video drum again first. And video I'm upset drum. at you right. for video drum. Not liking it. I'm upset at you. While I watch this, Dingus, let's get to Dingus. He's going to tell us what his third favorite use of sand is in a movie. Upset right, at I you. could. I apologize for not being able to avoid this. I tried to during the week, but I just love it too much to avoid it. So here's a quote from it. This is it. This is where Forrest all cashed in. Okay, so Midnight Run. All right, Does the ra- submarine get beached? In it's the- Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's Indiana Jones filling the bag of sand in order to oh, trick the um, 
Havitos Godhead uh, mechanism device uh, when he's stealing the uh, head of the idol. Except that it's not sand, it's dirt. It's not. Um, and then later, he actually uses sand again in the fight at the flying wing, and he throws his sand in the German's eyes. But I really love the sand because he, he's, he's trying to judge the weight of the sand just looking at this big old head, and he reaches into the bag, and he takes it out, and he just lets it sort of run through his fingers and fall to the floor as he's trying to judge the weight. And Dingus, just like the rest of the movie, he gets it wrong. Indiana Jones, Jones does nothing right ever in that movie. He does everything right. No, he sets the trap off. The giant ball rolls after him. If he'd gotten it right, then it would have worked. It, it he fails. kills a lot of Nazis. Okay. There's a lot of that. Nazis. But isn't that the thing? Is this whole sand? Like, if, if Dwayne Johnson had done that, he would have gotten the proportions right. Harrison Ford tries to calculate how much sand it takes. He ruined. He blows it. Doesn't work. Right. There's there's no way Dwayne Johnson could have even swung across that pit. That that branch would never have held Dwayne Johnson's weight. He would have plummeted to his death immediately, and the movie would have been over. He wouldn't need to swing. He could just use his massive thighs to spring himself across that gap. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad we've settled that. Uh, <laughs> All right, Harrison Ford sand. Kelly One, what's your third favorite use of sand in a movie? No, Indiana Jones sand. You're, now you're having an argument between <laughs> Dwayne Johnson and a character. I could be. I want Shia LaBeouf might use that move when he becomes the new Indiana Jones as well. Shia the Boof. Shia the Boof. Shia the Beef. Mine, uh, the theme of my list, I just realized. I mean, I realized when I made it because I'm thoughtful. Is that um. Sand is a very versatile substance, cinematically, and can be used in a variety of different ways. Oh, here, here we go, Dingus. I think mm-hmm. I see where this is going. Yeah. Each of my movie choices for it are in a different key. So my number three is how sand is funny. You see. So it's from One Crazy Summer when uh, John Murray... Bill Murray's brother is buried in to his up to his neck in sand, and then uh, a fat lady sits on top of him and eats chili. Oh, on the she chair. It's on his face, yeah. So yeah, you've sitting. done this one before. I can't remember what for though. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna fat, have to think on that. Fat ladies? No, that this 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 image of the chair being over his head and her sitting on the chair, right? I forget why they can't hear him going. Help! Get me out of here. Oh, and also when she's coming over to sit in the chair, you hear the Jaws theme. Like, so always welcome, of, always welcome. So that, that's the comedy of sand. Thank you. That's one third of my list. My, so that's my second favorite use of sand uh, is um, so this is in the Pacific Theater in World War II. Sailors on an island are just they're doing things to pass the time. They have made a sand woman. Uh, and she's oh, at the beach. Yeah, yeah. You guys really know what this is already? The yeah, mass? definitely. Oh, rats. Uh, she's Great laid one. out on the beach. Uh, she's got a uh, big old round breast. She's got her legs spread. It's very lewd. She's got a, a beer in each hand. And there's a ring of sailors around, like, sculpting this sand woman. And Joaquin Phoenix, in, and I'd forgotten his stance in that movie. It's like with his <laughs> arms akimbo, and he's hunched over. He looks like an old man. He's, like, sitting outside the ring, like, considering this woman that they're making. And this is when we first meet him, by the way. The first inkling that there's something wrong with this guy is this scene. Uh, 
he's hunched over and he's looking at the, the, the sand woman and the dudes are all in the ring laughing. He busts into the ring and he throws himself on top of the sand woman and is like thrusting at it like he's having sex with her. And he's doing all these lewd things to her like with his hand and like licking it. It's just like weird and the guys around the ring are just kind of like laughing at him and looking a little bemused like, well, why is this guy doing this? Joaquin again. Yeah. And in the very next shot – um. And I only got halfway through the Mastro, but even when you don't like, when you're not particularly into a P.T. Anderson movie, they're just fascinating to watch. Uh, the you very stopped next, watching it? Well, I didn't have time, but the very next shot, I got like partway through. He means this time, not for the podcast, Kelly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the very next shot is Joaquin Phoenix. It's, you see, his back is to us, and he's facing the ocean. His pants are down, and he's furiously masturbating out yeah. into the ocean. And in the very next shot after that... He comes back and he spoons with the sand woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's just and, – and that right there is kind of his character in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to speak. Just a weird just <laughs> progression of him crouched over with his hands on his hips looking to having full-on coitus with the sand woman to gratifying himself to then curling up and sleeping with her. It sums up guyhood, doesn't it? I'll say. <laughs> say that again. All right, so that's the master, my number two choice. Dingus, what or no, Kelly Wong, Dingus, what is your second favorite use of sand women? I was gonna say uh-huh, yes. have to be one night stands because of the tide. Well, just build build them above the tide, Kelly Wong. There is no sand up there. There is only Zool. One night sands. <laughs> See, Tom Dingus is funny. Stop saying he's not. Every time we stop recording, God. Sorry, Dingus. Please continue. My All right, here's a quote from my number two choice. Um, I killed two people. One was yesterday. He was just a boy, and I let him into quicksand. Huh. Oh, I know what this is. Really? Is it a David Lean movie? Oh, yes. <laughs> what? It's my dismissive thing. Yeah. They're all about sand. Oh man, this 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 particular moment is so heartbreaking and weird. Um, I have things I, to say about this. Go on though, Dingus. Go right ahead. Uh, I knew uh, when he picked this that I was going to want to watch uh, Lawrence again this week, but I couldn't because uh, there's a lot going on here family-wise. Um, uh, but I got to watch certain scenes of it, and I didn't remember this particular moment. I was thinking it was something that he might have said about sand and the way sand affects him, the way you know sand affects foreigners in the desert or something. But I had forgotten this whole um, element of what happens to the boy in the quicksand and how he notices it when, when the boy is yelling to him and how he and his other boy run over there to help him. He holds the other guy back, and he takes off his uh, his head wrapping and, and throws it to him to try to pull him out of it. And he won't let, he won't go a certain space, uh, toward where the, where the sand is because he understands, um, how quicksand works. And then the boy of course disappears into the surface. And it's just a kind of a heartbreaking moment as far as uh, what, um, what the desert is teaching Lawrence. So Tom, what is your objection exactly? <laughs> Uh, hold on. When you're done chewing your cake. Seth, oh, I didn't know that I was chewing. Hold on. I thought you were going to talk longer. Because uh, it's a David Lean. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had at least three hours, Dingus. I did not I did not do my write-up in 70 millimeters. <laughs> so, first of all, I'm glad you did this because I was – I'm fully expecting people to send in, like, deserts 
and desert. It's not a sand. That's like that's like in a conversation about rocks, thinking that a mountainscape applies. We're talking about sand, not desert scapes. If I was a three by three cop, that's how I'd enforce this. But <laughs> the fact that you're bringing up that quicksand moment, I like because, uh, first of all, ninety nine percent of depictions of quicksand are fiction. Like right. this is not a real thing. What it is, however, is an enormous uh, uh, adventure movie trope that peaked in the 60s. Uh, and furthermore, and I didn't realize this, and it was while looking into this very same thing because I was thinking about this as well. Um, there are quicksand fetishists. Um, what? And I'm so, one of them. According to the, the you know the law of the internet is no matter how weird something is does so Joaquin of, Phoenix no matter how weird something is that you can think of if you can think of it there's a group of people on the internet who are into it uh, so there are quicksand fetishists who collect instances of quicksand in movies uh, and there's a, there's a great article on Slate called uh, Terra Inferma which is a great name for it uh, by Daniel Engberger about uh, the history of quicksand and why it's out of favor, by the way, because quicksand was a big thing in the 60s, and then you don't you don't see it anymore. It's not a common thing. Uh, like throughout, he, he talks to I think Carlton Cuse, one of the producers of Lost, about hey, how come there was never quicksand in Lost? And they just said, and eh, it's fallen out of favor. That's not really an adventure trope. Crystal Skull brought it back. Uh, who, someone died in of sand. I don't remember. Crystal Skull registered so minimally for me. I don't. I think Princess, throws him a snake to hold on to. Princess Bride yeah. brought it back. Well, Princess Bride. Well, so I don't think it died yet. Like Princess Bride is one of the, the scenes that, and some of the people. But it's set in the sixties. Some of the people who are fetishists for it are are in it for this damsel in distress quality of it. Like, oh. It has to be a hot chick sinking in the sand and she gets rescued. Very much like you know a hot chick tied onto the railroad tracks and she gets rescued. Um. So uh, this, this wait uh, is this, that a real thing too? Tying women to railroad tracks was that a fetish at one point? It was an adventure movie trope. It's what the villain would do back then. Like it, it was, it, it was a, 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 there's a cultural window where that was a thing that happened in movies. And quicksand is the same thing. Uh, so uh, Daniel Engberger, who who he talked to a guy who runs this uh, quicksand fetishist group, and the guy has cataloged all these movies. And according to this guy, uh, who just uses his online name, so I don't know how reliable this is, but this guy says that in the 60s, 3% of all movies had an instance of quicksand. <laughs> it was that popular. Wait, how For was that decades? possibly calculated? Is that, Well, he's part of a – he's as a guy who runs this fetishist uh, quicksand site, they catalog oh, all the instances of it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that either, but according to his cataloging, you know, looking at what numbers, at the how many movies it occurs in in different times, he says it peaks in the 60s and that the number was just shy of 3% of all movies. So you're getting wet slowly. Is it some Trying sort to figure of, out why it's a fetish. Well, I'm wondering, is it some sort of weird reverse birth um, ideology? Yeah, I'm not, yeah I'm not, that makes sense. Good work. Yes, I think that, that actually works, yeah. Yeah, I mean that could be it, but there's also it's like a like a smothering thing, like being covered in lava too is the same kind of thing. Like that that always scared me and freaked me out as a kid. Uh, I think it's also when I remember being a kid and being told about quicksand, and not yeah. being told this is only in the jungle and besides it doesn't work like you're gonna hear it, and thinking, yeah. man, I I could step into quicksand at any moment. Yeah, I gotta be careful where I step in the exactly summer. right right exactly. You think and that's and that's. It's a, it's a horrifying, but in a, in a kind of exhilarating way, thing to tell a child. 
Like, mm-hmm. there's something underfoot that could suck you in. Because that's another like thing, hell. too. Right, you don't know. Like, when you see somebody in a movie get sucked into quicksand, and that Lawrence of Arabia scene is, is horrifying, you don't know where they go or what's going to happen to them. I mean, obviously, they're going right. to suffocate. But, you know, that, that's just like, I, you know, they're, they're suffocating off screen. They're just gone. They've vanished. Right. Um, so, at any rate, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up, Dingus, because quicksand is, uh, or at least it was, a really big deal, and Lawrence of Arabia was from that time when apparently 3% of all movies had quicksand. Uh, uh, I think that the uh, quicksand, the new quicksand, and I don't, I don't think this is taking off nearly as much. I kind of wish it would, but the new quicksand is sinkholes to me. <laughs> oh, this yeah, idea, that, is, that does yeah. capture your imagination in a really right. terrifying way. But that's a real thing, though, too, unlike quicksand. No, quicksand's a real thing. Well, yeah, but right. like, it doesn't work like uh, it doesn't work like it does in the movies. And it's statistically unlikely. And like you got to be. I don't know. And I don't think I think the dry sand quicksand in Lawrence Arabia. I don't think that's a real thing. Uh, there are definitely bits in marshes where you, uh, where there's a liquid. There are bits in marshes where you can get trapped, and I think that gets colloquially called uh, quicksand. Well, it's not just liquefaction. I mean, there 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 can be that element of i mean it's it, those are two different things and and you can have the the way that water can settle underneath and i don't know what the exact terms are um loosen all of that area to to the extent that it can be dangerous i mean, what, I mean you actually see warning signs at some some places say you know on the wikipedia page for quicksand because i actually was thinking is this is quicksand just something that's made up I mean, is it actually something that's a thing? And when you go to the uh, to the Wikipedia page, at least, to read about it, you see one of the images is deep water and quicksand, no swimming, because of what the water table has done. So you might be right about the fact that we're out in the middle of the desert, so how can there be liquefaction? But liquefaction is a different thing. Kelly Wan, Dingus is trying to scare me again. I got over my quicksand phobia as a child, and Dingus is trying to bring it back. Make him stop. Well, all I know is I've never fucking seen quicksand, so I'm having doubts about it. <laughs> Have you ever seen China? Uh, I'm starting to doubt the sun. <laughs> but yeah, sinkhole, you read stories about sinkholes where somebody's just sleeping in his house and a sinkhole opens up and his body falls and they never recover it. I mean, that's like horrifying. I've seen Chinese people, so I assume, you know, they own property. And you've never seen anyone. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think he means that they come from a, a country. Where, where or no, maybe each person's house to Kelly, that's China. They always walk upside down because it's the other side. Uh, Kelly there we Wan. go. How do, they, how do they talk, Kelly Wan? Can you give us a – No. They talk – they read right to left because it's the other side. All right. So, uh, Dingus, that was a great pick. I'm Black glad cats, you that. Good luck. I thought you were just going to say something like, oh, the dunes in Lawrence of Arabia are so awesome. <laughs> That's a very good impression of me. Thank you. No, that, that scene is devastating to me because of how hard he tries to save him and how protective he is of the other guy. Yeah, he won't even let him look. Like, he tucks his head down and yeah. Exactly. And, but he's also so careful and it's, it, it's, it's, it's akin to somebody dying under the ice almost. It's, it's that. I, I can't, I can only go out so far if I'm going to save myself. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you just made me think of uh, uh, Bone and Rust, Rust and Bone. bone yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when I said it. Yeah. And also Omen 2. That, that one would be lost on you, I imagine. The poor man's Omen. Uh, the Omen is actually the poor man's Omen. Oops. The Omen itself, yeah. What's the final conflict to the poor man's Omen? I rest uh, my case. Legion. Uh, Kelly Wand, better than One Crazy Summer, what's an instance of sand in a movie? 
And what's your new? What's your next part of your awesome theme? Right. Yeah. How does uh, it fit in your theme? Uh, I was just gonna say. Also, speaking of China, I'm on page 94 of Three Kingdoms, and uh, it's going really well. Just want to say, speaking of China. Romance of it. Yes, Tom. <laughs> Tom's swallowing his tongue apparently. Yes, Tom. <laughs> Three Kingdoms. Oh, he's got a poison apple here. in his mouth. <laughs> Quick, Kelly, get it out of there. Wow. Romance. I like that you think you can do that at the same time. That's the part that's fun to me. No. After or before, like, oh, okay, I got it now. Romance of the Three Kingdoms, see? It just says so Three you, Kingdoms on it. That you counted on it's Kelly to talk volume. for that long. <laughs> the guy just turned into a rooster, I think. I thought he was going to read his thing, so I thought I had time to take a bite of a cookie, but no. But then when I said Three Kingdoms, you had to go, ah, now it's the romance that's the important part. Tom, cook, cookie is a sometimes. I'll choke to death to make sure that point's made. Let me start all over. My number two, oh, the theme of it is, uh, I have to explain the theme after what it is, because it's okay. too complicated right. in this instance. So too complicated is the theme. But um, in the movie Blood Beach. Oh, my God, you stole my number one. Dead gummit. Kelly Wand, get off of the podcast right now. Tom, don't say that. No one. We all know that's not true. You just couldn't come up with a number one, and now you're brain scanning. I Tom, get it. Assu- Tom assured me that I had, I had not seen his number one, so I'm gonna go ahead and leave while you guys do whatever you do. The uh, Joaquin into the ocean move about Blood Beach. Because that's the whole thing that uh, that uh, that had me looking into quicksand. Because Blood Beach is basically like a what if this is what quicksand was as a kid for me? Like what if quicksand is that monster under the the yeah, and it's L.A., so it's local. Right, yeah, yeah. All right, explain why it's your second. I can't imagine what your first pick is. <laughs> All horror is local. My first one's going to be Blood Beach 2. That's not a thing, by the way. I would know if it was. Electric Boogaloo. Not a thing. Don't don't what? even joke about that. If it were. <laughs> I'm, who, I, anyway, Blood Beach, it stars Burt Young as Royco, <laughs> the male lead, Burt Young. Uh, lead. No. It's back when he was a uh, male lead material. He's not the male lead. He comes in. He's like, there's another male lead. He comes in as the cop. So 1980, uh, Blood Beach was released. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but at the end, they beat Blood Beach by blowing it up. So I want to, the theme of this one is that the payoff of the movie is the sight of people blowing up sand. Okay, you got that and, wrong on a couple of counts. And Burt Young smirking like, yeah, fuck you, Blood Beach. Yep, you Suck got it. two very so important things two. wrong there. Yep, incorrect. Incorrect, Kelly Wand. Romance is the sweet kingdom. So racist. First of but, all, mm-hmm. they don't yes. blow up sand. They blow up the big fleshy creature under the uh, underground. That's in their heads. It's unreliable narrator. It's the sand that's attacking them. Second of all, they do not beat Blood Beach. Do you remember how the movie ends? Well, don't they blow it up? Yeah, go on. Uh, And then the beach is reopened, and the real estate developers uh, make peace with the police chief and uh, the ichthyologist, and they all, you know, hang out. Do you not remember the last shot of Blood Beach? Uh, It's a question mark. Is it the end? Question mark. Basically, I don't know if there's literally a question mark, but what happens is they blow up Blood Beach, and that's not—that's not the name of the monster. It's like saying the, the shark in Jaws is named Jaws. The creature is not called Blood Beach. Um, 
But what about Frankenstein? His name is Frankenstein. Don't even start with me. <laughs> they blow up the monster, and it makes like this glittery stuff fly through the air. And they're like, oh, glitter, whatever. And then the glittery stuff lands and grows into new new creatures. So the very last shot is a little tiny blood beach funnel uh, being created on the same beach. The idea being that now not only is there one big monster, there's a thousand, thousand, thousand little monsters that are going to grow up and be big monsters. Are they monsters or plants? Because that sounds like spores. You know, good question, Dingus. Kelly Wan, so far, Dingus, who hasn't even seen it, has far more insight into this movie than you. Uh, <laughs> Dingus, they're basically like carnivorous plants, like a Venus flytrap, because when you see them, huh. they have this like flower-like opening that opens into a mouth that lets the sand go down in it, and then whatever's on the sand gets sucked down. But – and this mouth thing is on like a large neck or stalk. Um, so on yeah, that they're, they're kind of uh, <laughs> plant-like things. Wait, so the Wolfman's name's the Wolfman, though, right? What? The DJ? What are you talking about? No, the monster. <laughs> that's his name. So Blood Beach's name's Blood Beach. His name is not Blood Beach. He's not. That's the place where it takes place. You just admitted it's a he. So how could I be wrong? Well, I don't know. I don't know its gender. It might be a hermaphrodite. It might be a uh, who knows what. What? Wait, Royko's the cop. That's Why not. We have to be binary about these things. Royko's the cop, but the male lead. Is uh he's like a surfer or a sheriff or something like that. Doesn't he go? Yeah, it's called Blood Beach. Like he says it like cockily before the monster is even introduced. Uh yes, there is a line where they do say the name of the movie. I, I watched this a couple of, within the last couple of years, by the way. Yeah. Does oh. it hold up? Oh good, good good lord no no not at all. It doesn't hold up to what it was once. It has really weird scenes. So the the draw of Blood Beach is in the mm. in the poster you see the undertow, if you will. The undertow before you get to the water uh, is that uh, – oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, is that the, the movie poster is a, is a woman in a bikini half dragged in the sand, and she's obviously in peril, and something's pulling her under the sand, and I'm sure it has some – I remember that poster. Yeah, it's got some lascivious tagline like, uh, you never are even going to make it to the water or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, the water's the safest place to be. Something like that. Like I think it was trying to play on the Jaws thing, like just when you thought it was safe to go in the water. You're better off wet. Oh, no. Oh, my God, Kelly Wan. There's a line of dialogue. I don't know if it's the tagline. There's a line of dialogue where somebody says, just when we thought it was safe to go back into the water, we can't even get to the water. I swear to God, that's a line in there. Wow. Get to it. Um, Wait, so a monster existing under sand, is there a grain of truth to that? <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't think that this is a historical movie, Kelly Wand. I think this is purely – It's not from 1980. Uh, Yeah, this is not a documentary as far as I know. But there's a couple of really weird scenes in here. First of all, there's no – there's like no cheesecake deaths. No like hot chick in a bikini ever gets dragged into this. Um, We got Burt Young. Burt Young, I don't even think he ever goes on the beach. He just like shows up. He's at the police department. And he does some exposition. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're right. He does like push the button to blow up Blood Beach when, or to See? blow up the creature at the end. He's heroic. Um, but Kelly's couple, got you calling it Blood Beach now. Nope, I did not do that. There's a couple of scenes. There's a scene where uh, one of the deputies, and he's a good guy. He's like one of the guys you like. He'd be like Deputy Hendricks in Jaws, where he's patrolling Blood Beach, the place. It's not a creature. My favorite Jaws cop, Deputy Brody. <laughs> There's only two of them. <laughs> I uh, thought it would be Garrett Dillahunt. There's, he's not a Jaws cop. Oh, 
thing is, we're trying to talk about Blood Beach here. Garrett Hedlund. So there's there's a there's the good cop that we like, and there's a crazy homeless lady who is she's like the harbinger in this movie, who's warning people, ah, Blood Beach will get you. And she's like a crazy homeless lady, and she doesn't have any food or whatever, and she lives under the pier. And what the an deputy idiot. guy, the deputy guy is is trying to talk to her, and he's saying, ma'am, it's not safe out here. We've closed the beach. I need you to come with me. Uh, for your own safety. And she's crazy. She doesn't quite understand him. And while he's saying this to her, I'm the beach he falls down in the sand. And he's oh, getting sucked sorry. down in the sand, and he's saying, help me, help me. Like, he's reaching out to her, and she's just, like, looking at him, like, shaking her head, cackling. Like, she's so crazy that he dies in front of her, and she doesn't help him. And that's, she's like, a so weird crazy. scene. That's awesome. But I think the idea is, like, L.A. is full of crazies, but yep. the crazies are Mel Gibson crazy. And what do you think of this crazy, though? Uh, so back in the 80s, um, and I'm not sure when this changed, but boy, am I glad that it did. Uh, in a lot of horror movies like this, uh, like in horror movies like Last House on the Left and um, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, stuff like that, like rape is – it, it, like it's part of the horror movie, but I really feel evil like Evil Dead too. Uh, evil Dead, yeah, yeah. Evil Dead has a part of that too. Like it, it's kind of before movies acknowledged the enormity of rape, and there was something yeah. kind of titillating about it. And I find it really gross to see this. Like I, Virgin Spring is an amazing movie with a horrifying rape scene in it that is shot incredibly tastefully. Uh, Virgin Spring is fantastic. Wes Craven is the biggest idiot tool in the world for ripping off Virgin Spring and making it some gross exploitation rape movie. Uh, and that, that's Last House on the Left. Um, so when I go back and watch these movies, this is weird too. I went back and watched uh, Big, uh, no, uh, uh, Escape from New York, and I'd forgotten about this because I remember seeing this as a kid and thinking, what? When Kurt Russell is looking for the president and following the beacon in this collapsed New York prison culture, he goes underground – and one of the scenes he passes is these three guys punching a woman and passing her around back and forth. And as he passes them, they rip her shirt open, uh, which again is like a really gross thing. Now I can imagine if you want to show your character is like so tough and so doesn't care about things happening to women, yeah, that gets that point across. Um, but I just remember that it's just it really is an out of place scene for modern audiences. No, no, no I kind of liked that. It, it's uh, just I, I, as it's, it's treated a little too lightly for for my just as a character about him though like as as a Kurt Russell like that like just doesn't care. But that's the thing is I don't think that applies to him because like when he talks to Susan Hubley and he's going to get her out, like what well, he he tries to rescue her when the crazies take her in. I mean I, I just think it's uh it's a bit of a ham handed attempt for John Carpenter to say hey look how tough this guy is, we're going to have a woman raped in front of him he doesn't care. Um, well, he's trying to distinguish him from normal hero types. I think there are better ways to do that. And, and, and Well, here's the thing, Kelly Wan. I think a, a modern audience seeing that – I remember it being weird when I saw it as a kid. A modern audience seeing that now would react very differently. I just feel like our awareness of rape and the enormity of it and how uh, it's something that women uh, – that, that men can't quite understand how terrible it is. Uh, I think it's used a little bit too cavalierly at that point. If you want to see, by the way, the effective use of it, uh, there's a Mike Lee movie called Naked where we first meet the, the protagonist, p played by David Thewlis. Uh, he's raping someone, 
and you then have to watch the rest of the movie and, and, no, and Mike Lee knows this. You have to watch the rest of the movie realizing that you met this character in the midst of raping someone. Yeah. Uh, and it's not played with lightly. I mean it's – you know, however you feel about uh, Thulis' character, that's that's your introduction to him. Uh, so if there's something to escape from New York, that character would do that. I, I do agree with you there, but I think John Carpenter putting it in this movie – I think it, mo- for, to modern eyes, it looks darker than something that – For what it's worth, Mc- Kurt Russell had a blow-up doll in The Thing, but they cut it because it was too weird. That I would be okay with. <laughs> if Joaquin Phoenix can hump sand, I'm okay with McCready humping a blow-up doll. Yeah. At any rate, the reason I'm sorry, the re- this is such a, a tangent. It's brutality, though. Like you're showing New York is brutal. Like right, but the the tone of this movie is more comic booky than that kind of brutality. I, come on, you're gonna have you're gonna have uh, George, I, you're gonna have George Kennedy in a in a in a taxi cab driving people or no George Kennedy. Shut up, Ernest Borgnine in a taxi cab driving people around listening to like a a Benny Goodman big. But that's the thing; they're all in the same movie. Like that that's the, that juxtaposition and that weirdness is what I like about it. I get well, so here's here's where I'll go with you, Kelly. One at the time, sure, but I just feel it and sticks out. It sticks out weirdly to modern audiences. Well, as a as someone who was alive when it came out and is still alive, I think it's great <laughs> and it works. It's like Mickey Rooney in uh, Yellow Face for what is it? Breakfast at Tiffany at Tiffany's, where he plays an Asian man. It's not. That's way worse. That's back, totally different. Well, I know what I'm saying is back then that was fine to a modern. But that was supposed to be funny. That's that different because it's supposed to be. It's only at the. It, like that's race. It's like totally at the expense of a culture, as opposed to an Escape from New York, where it's sort of like like it's it, they're trying to convey something different. Well, what I'm what I'm saying is, it's, in both instances, it looks it's going to have very different implications to a modern audience. Sure, but did they like it even in the '60s, the Mickey Rooney stuff? Like, did, I that don't go, know. did they howl with laughter at that shit, or was I, it like even then, like what? I I couldn't tell you, but at any rate, so the, the reason I'm bringing all this up, sorry, is in Blood Beach. There's a scene where uh, there's a woman under the pier, and a rapist comes up to her, and it's just – it's a dude, and he's, he punches a woman, and he rips her shirt open, and he – you know clearly there's, there's, we're watching a rape scene, um, and she pushes him, and he lands face down in the dirt, and you know he's been taking his clothes off, and we know, okay, this is going to be a rape scene, whatever. She pushes him, and he lands face down in the sand and starts screaming. <sighs> And when he gets up, you see that <laughs> the creature has bitten off his wiener. Like there's like That's blood awesome. around his wiener area. So Blood wiener. Beach is kind of a uh, – it's like a champion of like women's causes in a yeah, way. Yeah, chivalry. Yeah, Blood Beach rescues a woman from, from rape. Uh, What's she do? What's her reaction? Oh, she runs off. She runs off and gets the cops, and the cops come up to this guy, and they arrest him. And then they're like, whoa. <laughs> Somebody, something weird is happening. This guy's penis got bit off. Wait, they arrested him though. Like, well, yeah, he's a rapist. They can't yeah, arrest the beast. Right? Yeah, they can't arrest Blood Beach. That thing. They haven't found him yet. It, yet. Huh. Okay. I should watch the whole movie again. I just, you know, I only, I usually cut to the explosion scenes when I watch stuff. It's another thing about it too, Kelly. One is there's just a lot of filler and a lot of bad acting. And you, you know, as a kid, you remember the freaky bits where somebody's getting sucked under the sand, but. You don't remember the tedium of God. This is how they made movies back then. Burt Young's the Michael Moriarty part. Q holds up, by the way. Yeah, that, is it? Yeah, Q is awesome. When's the last time you saw it? 
Uh, I see Q every every few years, uh, maybe two years ago. Q is great. Yeah. Mm. Q is Larry Cohen at his best, and and Michael Moriarty. Yeah. All right, so uh, Kelly Wan's number two is Blood Beach. My number one is Blood Beach. Uh, Dingus, it is time for you to tell us your favorite use of sand in a movie. Better than Raiders of the Lost Ark, better than Lawrence of Arabia. What do you got for us? All right, here's my favorite. Here's a quote from it. Nema Outpost is that way. Keep away from the sinking fields to the north or you'll drown in the sand. Princess Bride. No, it's not. The romance of the Princess Bride. <laughs> Kelly. Princess Bride has like the stuff that you sink in. I think I thought that was a legitimate guess. It's not like we said quicksand a million times five minutes ago. Whatever it's called. Uh, this is one of those moments that really captured my imagination at the beginning of this movie and and uh, and set up this character for me as a really cool character. And then it's paid off a little bit later in the movie. Um, and this is from a movie called Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Uh, um, and this you're is you're under arrest. You're under arrest. <laughs> All right, on, under on, on, on what grounds? It's not real sand. It's another planet. You're under arrest. It's different. <laughs> Wait, really, really, wait for all the listeners to bring up Arrakis, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, they will. I know. I'm pumped. <laughs> <laughs> is it the anyway. wait? Okay. Is it the scene? Okay. I should it, it's it's no. really just her saying that. I mean, I I love the later scene where um uh, where where Finn stumbles out of the Tie Fighter, and it gets engulfed by the sand because that's the payoff for what her line is. Because I remember hearing this line where she's warning. Um, to be fair to you, Kelly Wand, uh, this is a bit of payoff. Uh, when she's warning Beep Boop, um, which way to go? And I love that line. I think it's so, I mean, it's just got such a great sense. Um, it's, I, I guess the word I would use is evocative of what this world, Jakku, is and the dangers that they have and why these Star Destroyers are buried in the sand, um, which I think is just amazing, beautiful imagery. All of that stuff is beautiful. But my favorite use of sand is her warning Beep Boop not to go that way or you'll drown in the sand. Because right before this point, she has treated him, and I've said this a lot. I mean, I've talked about this movie over the last couple of 3x3s because uh, it keeps applying to the things that we're talking about. Um, she's treated him as a being. She said, you know, she she says, don't go. That guy has no respect for any anyone. He just wants to scavenge you for your parts. He just wants to take you for your parts. He has no respect for anyone. She's treating him, beep boop, like a like a being, and and she's saying, don't go that way or you'll drown in the sand. And that image fixed in my head. Um, and I've only seen the movie once, which I really kind of regret. Um, I wish I'd seen it in a theater more than once. Uh, hearing her say that to him, you'll drown in the sand, just gave me this image of these vast areas, these lakes of, of, of sand that you could drown in, that, that it's like water. Because um, you don't think of that, that thing that we talked about with Lawrence of Arabia, Tom, as drowning. You think of it as suffocation. And she talks about it as drowning in the sand. And then when Finn escapes from the TIE fighter and it gets engulfed by the sand, you think, well, this probably is what happened to um, to uh, Oscar Isaac's character. I can't remember his name, darn it. Poe Dameron? You can't remember Poe Dameron's name. Really? Uh, his name's what? 
Poe Dameron. Poe Jenkins. Poe Dameron. I can't remember. Also, the monster's name in that's Blood Beach. Um, so I, I just, I love the way that that is, a, as a, is just in a line, a little bit of world building. You'll drown in the sand. Do you guys remember what that cool rhino-looking thing was that I told you about last week? Have you remembered this? Are you off book for it? Is it the Quad Runner? <sighs> the Lugga Beast. Oh, yeah. Tito's Lugga Beast. Tito is riding it. It's the Lugga Beast. It's the thing that wanted to take BB-8 away. It's almost too straightforward for a Star Wars organization. What did you call the Quad Runner, then? Well, there is a, that's the ship they're going to – so Ray's thing is just a speeder. The Quad Runner is the ship that they're running to when it blows up, and instead they uh. go for the Millennium Falcon. Okay, the hunk of junk over there. Right. And Uncarplet is the guy that uh, gives her her food ration tokens. Hmm. Who's the one who's dicks a Dianoga? Which, is that Chewbacca? What? what? Oh my God. Wait. What just happened? Kelly Wan, are you talking about some porn version of Star Wars? <sighs> yeah. The Star Wars of Breastwick. Kelly Wan, why don't you instead tell us your favorite use of sand in a movie? So this is your topic. The best instance you could think of in your own topic. What do you got for us? Go. My number one sand thing for topics is in the motion picture Saving Private Ryan at the beginning, and the theme of it is uh, the annoyingness of sand because it's like it's annoying to walk in uphill, and then you it's just uh, filled with uh, uh, blood and bullets, which is also annoying. So it's like a bad day at the beach. So it's like traumatizing like, beaches. That's the that was the working title for Saving Private Ryan. The other work title was just Beaches. But, oh. <laughs> they used to, which was my one of my runners-up, by the way. Um, so that's my number one. Did I ever tell you you're my hero, Kelly? Listeners say, Paul Weimer. Let's <laughs> do your three by three. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. Number three, the eerie, the eerie and otherworldly white dunes of New Mexico were the filming location used in the film The Man Who Fell to Earth to represent in flashbacks the dying, drying planet of Thomas Jerome Newton, David Bowie, and done so quite effectively. Did you see that movie, either of you? Yeah, is of course. Is it a Nicholas Rogue movie? I've never is it seen Nicholas it. Rogue? It sounds like something Nicholas so, Rogue would do. Yeah. It's pre-Starman. It's Nicholas Rogue Starman. But 70, right, or something? Does he uh, just have a lot of sex and take some drugs? God, I don't remember. I just remember it being just really weird and freaky and making no sense to me when I saw it. But, oh, I hey, should check it hey, out. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Number two, the spice-laden sands of the desert planet Arrakis. Indeed. Are indeed the most important real estate in the universe, even given the dangerous sandworms. The spice must flow. You know what? The sand in that movie ruined the movie. It's the it's when I realized the movie was gonna suck in Dune. What? What, what do you, you mean? mean? It just didn't look like a real desert. It didn't look like sand. It just looked like horseshit. It just didn't look. It didn't look like uh, a place. It didn't look like a planet. It looked like dirt. It didn't look like a sandy planet. It didn't look it like Dune. It, it looks to me, by the way, so far, like uh, Paul Weimer is just mentioning deserts and not sand. I, Kelly Wan, you might consider pulling him over. Well, the white chooses to accept that sand can exist on other planets. Well, they wouldn't call it sand. They'd call it particles. Number one, the woman in the dunes. Continually falling sand from a treacherous sand dune traps the hero and the woman he has been 
connive to live with from escaping from their forced domestic situation. Worse, that the sand's not dealt with on a continuous basis, it'll bury the houses of the small community he's been made a part of. Best regards and thanks as always, Paul Weimer. Are you going to pull him out? You're just going to let him drive away with that? He's the fourth Beatle. Fifth Beatle? All right. Ben Halliburton. Hey, nerds, it's Gormongus again. I've been prevailed upon to submit more anime picks for this week's 3x3 on sand. (laughs) You took up the gauntlet. Well done. All right, Kelly, rock and roll. Can't wait to hear this. And Kelly, I want you to treat this with the seriousness that it deserves. How did I do it last time? Condescendingly? You just you just respect the topic, Kelly Wanda. You just you just be you. Just be you. Number three, the Iron Sands in Princess Mononoke. Partway through the movie, Ashitaka and San arrive in Iron Town, an enclave clear cut into the northern forests and ruled by the hard nosed Lady Iboshi. Ugh. The Iron Sand stands for Miyazaki Hayao's ambivalent relationship with technology. It's nice to be able to make the sand into firearms, but those firearms wouldn't be needed if it wasn't necessary to defend the sand. I especially Uh, like it when you have to say words. Like games. (laughs) My whole life. My whole life's just being made to talk. (laughs) Fucking time. Can't wait for death. Really can't. No offense, Ben Halliburton. Hope they didn't come out wrong. Number two, the sand of the petrified forest. God damn it. And Nausicaa? God. It's pronounced Nausicaa, Kelly. Don't let Dingus confuse you with this extra syllable. No, we were told it was pronounced um, with a, 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 a short A and then a long A at the end. Why have the like two the difference A's? between cooperation? Those two O's. Mm-hmm. That really um, helped, Dingus. <laughs> yeah, all right. I was just Thank hoping you. to bait him into trying again. Nausicaa. <laughs> Living in Germany means just giving up on the alphabet. <laughs> That's my advice to you. That's the tagline when you enter the country. Yeah. You have, to, you have to say that before they let you in, in German. Do you renounce your alphabet? Oh, I've renounced so much. It's all worth it. Fleeing enemy soldiers, Nausicaa and Asbol, are sucked down Wait, what's by... It, what's his buddy's name? I didn't hear that. Uh, Aspol. Aspol. Asbol. You Asbol? Asbay? It's not a, you know, it's an L. And Asbol are sucked down by quicksand. Oh, it must have been made in the 60s. Into a subterranean forest. Watching sand leak from the surface, they realize the so-called toxic jungle is Earth's immune system. Trying to purify Keep the jungle from spreading. Uh, for a long post-pilot. Another recurrent Miyazaki theme, essentially. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Number one, the longest one to read the sandbox scene from end of evangelion (laughs) lily during instrumentality the attempt of an illuminati style death cult to fuse all human beings into one vast consciousness shinji dreams that he's a child building a sand pyramid first with other children and then alone As the sun sets, he stands over his finished work. Then we cut to an empty swing as he kicks the pyramid apart. 
After a moment, looking at the mess he's made and trying not to cry, Shinji sits back down and starts rebuilding the pyramid. There are many interpretations of what Anno Hideaki meant with this scene. But I like the basic glimpse into Shinji's personality. He keeps building the pyramid, even if he hates it and feels lonely doing it, because no one told him to stop, and though he might rebel, he'll come back to it, because it's all he knows. And once brought up love and respect. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Stop tuning in. <laughs> Stop liking me, hating you. <laughs> Kelly Wong's views do not represent the views of this podcast. <laughs> I better find a topic that's not in any anime. And I thought sand was safe, but no. Look. It's not safe. Iwo Jima, I should have seen it right away. Thanks again for the podcast and for letting me write in. Sorry that I got to get got a bit prolix and that I was so uncreative as to pick two Studio Ghibli movies. <laughs> What's this got to do with half like? I'll do better next time. <laughs> Is that what you guys wanted? Yep. Yep. Grant Stewart writes... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, it's fine. Grant Stewart, lots of options this week and lots of different properties for Sand by a creative director. My choices have been a bit George Miller heavy recently, so I'll avoid the tinker in the room. Number three, Indiana Jones, little bag of sand, passing back and forth between his hands, back and wait, Raiders lost start. Perhaps not a great execution, but using his makeshift weight, using it as a make weight. Is that a word? Make weight? Shake weight. <laughs> and weight. Is pretty sensible since it can be easily moved like a fluid. <laughs> uh, that's weird. I'm weird. Number two, Han's army of nincompoops are training outside on his island and enter the dragon. <laughs> Sorry, that was for me. To toughen their hands up, they have these really nice wide metal containers, sort of like a wok filled with sand suspended above fires, making the sand very hot, and his minions are driving their hands in and out of it, presumably to prevent softness. I'm pretty sure all this entitles you to is a burnt hand and an ass-kicking from Bruce Lee, but it's memorable nonetheless. Ah, so many heads get cut off in Three Kingdoms. I mean, (laughs) so good. Would sandpaper have counted? No, because it's from another planet. Right. Number one, Tremors. Need I say more? In case I do, there is some great back and forth with Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon in this, and the young girl from Jurassic Park on a pogo stick. Oh, yeah, the pogo stick. That was my dad's suggestion, too. He he agrees with you about Tremors, by the way. Which part? That it has sand in it. Nope, it's dirt. Well, is the stuff on Mars, works. is that sand or is that dirt? Um, It's the sands of Mars. Okay, I'll go with it, sand for that. But dirt and tremors, totally dirt. Because it's in our solar system, Dingus. Read a book. <laughs> tremors kind of rips off Jaws and Aliens and cheaps out on the setting, but I still reckon this deserves more 3x3 recognition from now on. See you guys, Grant. Isn't the guy from Family Ties, the dad? You uh, bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, I think, the only common thread in all four Tremors movies. What's and he name? totally... Um, Michael. Michael... Perez? Gross. Gross. Michael Very Perez. good. Yes. Right? Oh, wow. Yep. No, I, I think he's underrated. He was the underrated one on Family Ties, I always thought. I thought he was funny. 
Am I dumb? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he's hilarious in Tremors, yeah. The real comic genius in Tremors, though, is uh, is Reva McIntyre. Reva McIntyre. She can't get any penetration with the elephant gun, you see. Oh, that dude. Arthur Giovannagelli, right? It's number three, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. After he returns to England from the Crusades, Robin falls to his face and kisses the sand. Oh, that's feet. right. It's actually a pretty long kiss as far as kissing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking how glad he must be to be home. Or hungry. Do you remember what Morgan Freeman calls him during that whole movie? Sand kisser? No. He calls him uh, Christian. Christian. But Christian oh, Slater is another character in the movie. Right. Cause, cause I have a far. brother. I have a brother. Christian Slater plays the Matthew Broderick Ladyhawk character in Robin Hood. <laughs> Number two, Spider-Man 3, The Sandman. Oh, yeah, of course. A sick part of me was hoping someone would say it. My favorite Spider-Man movie. The Sandman Flint Marco, played by Thomas Hayden Church, gets fused with sand during a failed heist. <laughs> it's such a dumb city to live in. Unless his, name, <laughs> his name is Flint Marco. Get it? Yeah. But his son's name's Connor Marco. Mm. He gains crazy sand-related powers, even though this movie gets a lot of hate. It's probably my favorite Spider-Man movie. Yay! Oh, that's sweet. Back you guys. Me up. Uh-huh. Tom, you're with us. Get a beach. I don't. I, I couldn't possibly have a favorite Spider-Man movie. I'm so. I, I just couldn't care less about those. But movies. if you had to sit through any of them, I bet you'd sit through three. I, I really, couldn't. I, I couldn't I really, tell one from the other. But okay. Is that the one with mess. Paul Giamatti playing the Rhino? Ew, you saw that? No. How many of them have wound up on your uh, top ten list? Yeah, uh, zero for me. Yeah, I didn't have a list back then. This is pre-list. I believe it's amazing did. Yeah. Yep, the first Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man is on your top ten list for that year, Kelly Wand. Because I love you guys, I had so much fun seeing it with you. Right. That I'd watch kind that of, again with you. You make, you make fun of me for my love gesture, so think about that. Uh. Number one, Star Wars. The sand in the Dune Sea on Tatooine. There's plenty of it. Cliché at this point, but still one of my favorite settings in science fiction. <sighs> Alright, that's sand, but the other one, Dingus's isn't. I'll explain on another podcast. It's okay, good. Get into right now. Nick D. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> into my crannies. What was he thinking when he wrote that line? It's so weird. He's thinking it was human. He's fallible. It's how people it talk. It gets everywhere? He wants to, us to hear that. Tell me one, have you ever been to the beach? It gets everywhere. You come home and there's sand in places you never thought sand would be. That's in like car jar? All right, I'm going to knock him on their ass. That's why you take a shower when you get home from the beach. It's an sand. offensive smell. It gets everywhere, and he's a guy saying that, so it can only mean asshole. Because <laughs> it's a guy saying it. Let's get the urethra. Urethra. Number three, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm sure it's already been picked, but I can't leave off the iconic. Number two, (laughs) English patient. The moment where the sandstorm buries Scott Thomas and Ray Fiennes in their car. Wanted to pick that one. Yeah, that's good. Who was that? Nick D. Yeah, Nick. Nice. D. Number one, Mad Max Fury Road. The Sandstorm and Car Chase is one of those thrilling action sequences I've seen in the last decade. Is it about the sand, though? It's me. It's like I'm saying. A desert is not sand. You pick, like, sand. I'm not talking about an expanse of sand. If we do a three-by-three about uh, cups of water, you can't say the ocean. Well, I had three best oceans. Right. So 
I already did that one. Yeah. So it's off. You'd be pulled over if you tried that now. It's my, I'm pretty strict. Chris Markardson writes, Hey guys, my three favorite uses of sand range from juvenile humor to fire extinguishing to an aid to commit murder. <laughs> oh. Okay. See, he's using my theme technique. It's my Joseph Campbell. Whatever. Number three, the opening musical number in Top Secrets called Skeet Shooting takes place on a beach. Dingus, you probably would. That's a great scene, right? Great movie. During this number, an attractive woman in a bikini is laying down on the sand and lifts her torso up to show two rather large holes in the sand that her breasts have made. Absolutely, that's great. That's almost like too spot on for that movie. No too spot. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm rewriting that joke in my head right now. All right, number two. Mad Max Fury Road. With the front of their war rig on fire, Furiosa hits a ah. lever, drops the front assembly of the war rig down to the sand. She kicks that, it out. fire. That's how you pick Fury Road. Well done, Chris. Sorry, Nick D. I didn't, that's Tom, by the way. <laughs> number one, Creep Show. Ted Danson. Sweet. See, Canadians. Ted Danson is having an affair with Leslie Nielsen's wife. Nielsen finds out about the affair and takes each of them out to the beach separately and buries both Danson's unfaithful wife and Sam to the next. Watch them struggle as the tide comes and drowns them. Thanks, guys. Chris. Um, Great pick. Gretchen Grasshoff writes, The witch reminded her of blood on Satan's claw. <laughs> not sand. And Aaron Vaughn wrote about the witch. Um, which, oh, I missed those things. Should I just read his thing? Not, not at this point, no. It's too late. I'll, I'll write it up and put it on the front page, but it's too late for that now. Sorry, Aaron. I, I checked things, uh, but you know, it's too late. Sorry, Aaron. You got it in at the wire. All right, so that's it for listeners in sand, but a robust series of choices, if that's a phrase. Just like uh, something Black Phillip would write on an off day. Beach reading, get it? That's how he writes. So, All right. there's hey. that. It yeah. behooves him to write that way. I got that, Dingus. Ah, oh, that's a good one. I hate that I said that. All right, you guys ready for next week's 3x3? <laughs> three three? Yes. Wait, what about runners-up? I don't have any. They were all they were all picking. I, now that I, yeah, if I can't get an uh, English patient in there, I don't want to. No, if no, you no. ask them to go fast, I got to go to work. Spoiler alert. Dingus. All right, never mind then. Go ahead. Next week's three by three are uh, – this is also, by the way, inspired by Jane Got a Gun. Uh, Jane Got a Gun ends with uh, Natalie Portman and uh, Joel Edgerton uh, holed up in a cabin at night, and a bunch of bad guys come and are trying to shoot them. It's a siege. It's a terrible siege. It sucks. Mm. Uh, it got me thinking, what are sieges that don't suck? Oh, there, there are some great sieges in movies, and I want to talk about them next week by having you, the listeners, write in with one or more – try to cut yourself off at three uh, – sieges that you like from movies. Send that to 3x3 at quarter to quarter3.com. Uh, we'll read them on the air. Uh, siege is pretty straightforward. The only problem with siege is I never remember if it's IE or EI, so make sure you get that spelled right. It's IE, except after C. Yeah, but it just seems weird. Siege. That's like siege. Siege. Yeah, I always. I, I, I have to write it out. Down, had the same problem when yeah. I wrote. Yeah. It's you guys are fucking dumb. No well, Kelly, we're not in a in a country where everybody who's German has all these words that go I E or E I, and it, it means something. Yeah, it's always pronounced the same way, though. 
No, it isn't. Oh. It is. EIs always I, and IEs always E in Germany. I thought you left the alphabet behind. Yeah, Kelly Wand. Oh, you the German alphabet. Uh, uh, so send us your favorite sieges. We'll read them on the air. Next week, we are going to see Zootopia. Oh, my God. Um, Kelly Wand, hugely excited about that. Oh, my God. After Zootopia, though, we've got some movies coming up that we're pretty so it, I could I could see the Huntsman in German, but you losers can't see it. So Germany is ahead of the curve. That's great, Kelly Wand. You can say that <laughs> maybe once every thousand times a movie comes out. Enjoy <laughs> it. Uh, so uh, see Zootopia. Let us know what you think of it. Send, send any comments you have about Zootopia or any questions you may have or things you'd like us to discuss to 3x3 at quarter3.com. And also send us your picks for favorite sieges. I, Tom Chick, I have been joined by Christian Milnini. It's Christian Morosky. And we had Kelly Wand. I give this podcast a cinema score a D+. Plus. The average human uh, consumes a pound of sand in a year. Do you know that? You eat a lot of red meat. Uh... Hear me this. I will not play a fool to children's games. Uh... I swore an oath to Lord. keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! It's not a choice. Oh. Sleep. All will be well. Sleep. <laughs>